Okay, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Utterford Planning Policy Working Group. Um, it's good to see uh, so many uh, at the meeting tonight. Um, we will start with apologies for absence and declarations of interest. I will remind you that it's a live broadcast, um, so as and when you speak, we'll make it clear who is speaking. Um, so, item one, apologies for absence and declarations of interest. I have an apology from councillors Lemon and Salmon. Okay. Declarations of interest. Could I declare an interest as an Essex County Councillor, Chairman? Okay. Now, uh, there are, moving on to item two, um, there are um, five speakers on this matter, and um, actually on matters arising. So, we'll take the minutes as such to. Um, determine whether they are an accurate record, but because there's matters arising, I think actually I'm going to take the speakers even before item two, uh, and then we'll take two and three after we've heard from the speakers, just in case there is any uh, influence on the minutes themselves. So I've got um, five speakers, and I believe Councillor Menel is going first, uh, then Mr May, then Mr Coltman. Uh, then Joan Morgan and then Tina McLean. So if, that's, if you're happy with that order. Uh, but before I call upon uh, Councillor Menel, uh, I'm just going to ask the Chief Executive to say a few words. Thank you, Leader. It was just a, a very brief point. Um, I, I did have a meeting with representatives of residents, and at that meeting I said that I would confirm under the minutes which I'm doing now that the studies required by the Council on the gypsy, proposed gypsy site at Arxton will be made public, and they will, said Chairman. So I'm just confirming the point that I raised there uh, for the minutes. Thank you. Can you speak up, please? We cannot hear you up here. Oh. Oh, I'm more than happy to do Is that making a difference, actually? Yes. Yes. Okay, thank you. Do you want me to say it again, or are you all right? Yes. Say it okay. again. Um, so a, a minor point arising from a meeting I held with representatives of local residents uh, where I did say that I would confirm that the studies we have asked the owner of the gypsies, proposed gypsy site at Arxton to commission will be made public when they are available. It's not really working, is it? Thank, thank you. Okay, I call upon Councillor Menel. Thank you, Chairman. I would like to refer to the uh, minutes, if I may, and the one I'm referring to is PP15 on page 5, and also on um, page 8, the second paragraph down. This is a matter I seem to constantly come to raise, and I rose raised it at the last council meeting again, but I don't mind how many times I raise it. I shall go down like the Titanic on this one. As you're all aware, there were several speakers from Arxton and Wick and Bond Hunt, including myself, and it would be fair to say that the residents and speakers left that meeting feeling greatly reassured, and here I'm referring to your last meeting here and they left greatly reassured that at last they were being listened to. That feeling lasted barely 24 hours as it was announced that further investigations were required of the owner 
and that these responses would not now be available until March the 31st, which is tomorrow, and therefore no opportunity for further debate on the five acres site at Wickenbon and Arxton will be possible at this meeting. I'm not usually cynical, but it is the locally held view that this may have been a deliberate means of curtailing discussion tonight, and as a consequence, the trust in UDC fleetingly enjoyed that evening disappeared like a puff of smoke. Councillor Edwin Oliver and I had an urgent meeting with you, Chairman, and a further meeting was held by Falco for the residents and the Parish Council with the Chief Executive, which he has just referred to, in order to try and find out why this had happened. I am perplexed. Could I therefore be told why we did not already have the information suddenly required, having employed Peter Brett consultants to look at all sites, and who presumably were briefed to make all necessary investigations in order for them to make their recommendations? In November last, we were presented with their report, and the Environment Agency made specific suggestions then which could and should have been dealt with well in advance of this meeting. Chairman, I don't want to particularly quote, but I will quote from the Peter Brett uh, report. The Environment Agency comments were, the site is located in a flood zone 1, but the access point to the highway lies in flood zone 3. Any proposal would need to consider the safety of people, including the provision and adequacy of an emergency plan, temporary refuge and rescue or evacuation arrangements. Any site application should be supported by a flood response plan. Now, that was presented to us last November, so it was suddenly and urgently required after the last meeting of this grouping. And the report from that I now know is going to be delayed until April. I find it all incredibly unsatisfactory, and we have a very, very disturbed uh, community as a result. But, Chairman, I also want to come back, if I may, on item four. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, you, you want to, yeah, sorry, on item four of the agenda. Yes, I, that is marked up. Um, I now call upon uh, John May, just to remind you that uh, we do have a clock running for the three minutes. Good evening. I am John May, have lived in Arxton for 23 years and chair the Falca Steering Group. We have been told time and again that UDC has to follow a process and assured this process is thorough and will take into account all the evidence. Councillor Rolfe, you went to great lengths at your last meeting to reassure everyone that this process would continue, but that the challenge, to use your word, was conflicting evidence and a lack of objections from consultees, Essex County Council and the Environment Agency in particular. Under matters arising, I will take up your challenge and shine a light on that thorough process on the two most important thing, criteria for the site where gypsies to live there. No risk from flooding and safe pedestrian access. 
Peter Brett Associates told the Environment Agency, as we've just heard, and Mr Taylor has repeated this unequivocally in his report, that the site lies in Flood Zone 1 with only the access in Flood Zone 3. Our flooding expert asked the Environment Agency for information and was told there is a small section of Flood Zone 2 and Flood Zone 3 along Poor Street towards the east of the site. Publicly available flooding maps show this also quite clearly. Flooding is now accepted as a problem and the site owner has been required to provide mitigation measures. She cannot move the caravans up the hill because that would fail visual and landscaping criteria on which grounds Peter Brett Associates has already rejected out of hand ten other sites. So let me show you this picture. Taken on one of the three occasions in the last 12 months when the site flooded, which shows the area where Mr Taylor says caravans may be discreetly located. The Environment Agency also replied to Brett, and I quote, this would place occupants at risk in terms of access and egress, not mentioned by Councillor Menel. Where does Mr Taylor mention to you occupants are at risk? I'm afraid he has misrepresented the flooding issue to you. Has this been a thorough process? And I wonder if Councillor Rolfe, will you now repeat your assurance that no objections have been raised? Turning to safe pedestrian access, Brett wrote to Essex County Council asking for their views on all sites. They were asked for, I quote, a short paragraph for each site relating to your, expertise, to your area of expertise only. The reply came from a lady with, and I quote, general comments which apply to all sites. And these general comments are all Mr Taylor has reported to you. She also said that, I quote, no site visits have been carried out due to time constraints. Does this sound like thorough to you? If she had visited the site, this is what she might have seen. A narrow protected lane with blind bends. Please could you tell me how there can be safe pedestrian access for gypsy children who need to walk along this lane almost a kilometre to catch the once a day bus to their non-existent place at Clavering Primary School? Would you let your children do that? Our evidence has been provided in great detail to you. This is the report we produced. And to the planners, we have in effect done much of Mr Taylor's job for him. Which body of evidence do you think carries more weight? My aim today is simple. I am asking you to direct the planners to finish the job they started and reach a conclusion on five acres. There is nothing to stop this when they hear back from the site owner. So let's not have excuses about elections and new processes. We are not asking for preferential treatment. We just ask for fair treatment. Please make sure we get it. Thank you. Mr. Steve Coltman. Uh, good evening. I'm sure you're aware that I'm the clerk to Arkham Parish Council. The Parish Council and many of the residents who had attended the last meeting of this group are, to put it mildly, extremely disappointed that the whole question of the Gypsy Traveller consultation and subsequent officers' report has completely disappeared from the agenda. 
We are expecting at the very least that there will be some matter arising. The issue of site suitability, site visits and the owner's response to name but a few are surely worth some comment from this group. The minutes blatantly fail to record the huge volume of representations that were made against the way in which the results of the consultation have been presented to this working group. You have just heard from Mr May on how the comments made by the Environment Agency and the Highways Authority have been misrepresented to you, and I would like to give you a further example of this. The officer's report, which was noted in the minutes, states that Essex County Council Archaeological Department were consulted during the preparation of the documents and they did not raise any concerns. However, my inquiries with the same department brought forward this response. We were asked by the consultants to do a rapid search on all heritage assets that were likely to be affected. Those sites that had no impact we made clear by stating no impact. The remainder all had heritage assets identified, including protected lanes. This will have an impact on the heritage asset and should be taken into consideration when considering sites. So, firstly, the officers did not consult directly with the archaeological department, but relied on the previously discredited Brett report. Secondly, to say the department had no concerns was misleading in that they had only been asked to identify sites. Thirdly, the protection of these lanes is not the responsibility of either the archaeology department or the highways department, but is in fact the responsibility of Ottlesford District Council, and they have policies in place to do this, as we have repeatedly pointed out to them. I think you will agree that statements such as statutory bodies have no objections are clearly misleading and not representative of the true facts of the matter. I trust that during the imminent matters arising you will call into question the integrity of the officer report and that when you finally get round to discussing the suitability of the sites, whenever that might be, you will look more closely at the actual response provided in the consultation rather than the officer's summary of these. I would ask that you and your successors deal with all of the issues raised during the consultation at the earliest opportunity with due regard to all of the responses given, not just a convenient selection as presented by the officers. I would just like to make one further comment really about the um, general uh, comment on the process that we've witnessed over the past three months here. We in Arxton, like all parishes in the district, are facing parish council elections. You may have thought that the opportunity to watch democracy in action and attend and speak at these meetings would have enthused people to take up the challenge of a parish councillor. But quite the contrary, Arxton is finding it extremely difficult to recruit even six parish councillors. And a comment that I hear repeatedly is, what is the point? No one listens. I have to say that despite pronouncement of transparency, objectivity and consultation, what we have witnessed to date has merely discouraged people from engaging in the process. And I hope that the newly elected council and working groups will contain at least some of the existing members so that these feelings can be taken on board. Thank you.
Joan Morgan. Okay. Tina McLean. Thank you. I'm Tina McLean, a resident of Arkston for 22 years. To the matters arising, I attended the 23rd of February meeting and reviewed the minutes, and I am, quite frankly, appalled. In the meeting, Mr. Taylor spoke at length, great length, but what was notable was what he didn't say. He shared many responses from the consultation, but he singularly failed to share with members and the public any concept of the actual numbers for or against the points. For example, no one attending the meeting or reading the minutes would have understood that of the 602 respondents to question 12 on five acres, only one was in favour, and that was the site owner who stands to benefit from its development. This and other critical data was omitted by Mr Taylor. For the record, this needs to be corrected. This lack of transparency in reporting the facts is completely unacceptable and misleading. As advised by UDC, the local community waited until the consultation process to give our views. We listened, consulted widely, knocked on doors, ran open days, asked and got money from hard-working people to engage independent professional opinion. In good faith, we presented our findings. We were told that our views would be heard and that the UPPWG would make a decision in accordance with timelines that had been shared with us. And what did we get? Fobbed off, hiding behind due process, evidence that was ignored or distorted, meetings that note and don't make decisions, timelines and process changing outside of meetings. To Councillor Manel's point, why did officers write to the site owner the day after the February meeting to ask for more information by tomorrow? Why did Mr Taylor fail to mention this? Why didn't officers ask sooner? This action made it impossible for a decision on five acres to be made at today's meeting. Why? We want an answer. As a member of the public attending the February meeting, I certainly understood that the UPPWG intended to push forward to make an early decision on five acres. Why were we led up the garden path by assurances that site visits were imminent? As a taxpayer, I am appalled by this waste of time and money. You have succeeded in turning public opinion from initially concern to action to mistrust and now to anger. Rest assured, we will not be fobbed off by attempts to hide behind so-called due process. You are public servants. We are the public. We expect that if we follow the process in good faith, that you in turn will be open, transparent and work in good faith with us. We remain disillusioned and disappointed. We have invested significant time, money and energy in responding to your consultation. You have the information you requested to make a decision on five acres in the very near future. This is what we continue to ask and to expect. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. My name is Joan Morgan, and you may remember I am the chair of Wiccan Bonhunt Parish Meeting. For the benefit of those taking notes, that is spelt W-I-C-K-E-N. I wish to address the matters arising from the minutes of the 23rd of February 2015, or to be more accurate, the matters that do not arise from the minutes of the 23rd of February 2015. 
The minutes state that there would be site visits to the gypsy traveller sites before any decisions were taken. But there's no mention that the site visits were to be delayed until possibly July 2015. There is no mention that the decision about five acres would be delayed until after the elections of May the 7th. There is no mention that the landowner had been given until the 31st of March, very conveniently, to respond to our consultants' reports regarding the flooding, sewage disposal and evacuation procedures. The minutes state the officers had listened carefully to all points raised by residents, but there is no evidence to reassure us that issues regarding pedestrian safety, poor lane protection, the unsustainability due to the lack of facilities have been taken seriously. There is no mention in the minutes that seven houses were refused planning permission in Wiccan last year due to every issue that has been identified as unfit for traveller gypsy sites. I can assure you the residents of Wiccan and Arxton take all of these issues very seriously. There is no evidence in the minutes that the UDC has any desire to reach a conclusion regarding five acres before the 7th of May. A fresh call for sites would only bring the whole question of five acres onto the agenda yet again with a total waste of public money for both residents and the landowner alike. Uttlesford has failed in their duty to residents for the sake of their incompetent processes. Conclusions have been reached for all other sites, so why not five acres? From the evidence that has been produced, there is no reason why five acres cannot be removed from this process as early as possible after the elections in May. This issue has been a weight hanging around every resident's neck for many, many years. It needs to be resolved once and for all, whoever sits in these seats after the 7th of May. Just a small point of interest, Chairman. All these people behind me were asked on Saturday afternoon to turn up tonight if they had the time. And it just shows you the depth of feeling in Wiccan and Arkham. Thank you. I uh, will ask Mr Taylor to respond to some of the details in just a moment, but uh, uh, we are, let me be crystal clear to everyone, we are absolutely clear of the feeling about this site. There's no misunderstanding about that. And I know uh, process is a hackneyed phrase, but there are two sides to this, and if we get it wrong, we end up in court, you end up in court, and it costs money. So. We have to agree together, and we'll do it with you together, what the process is, and we get that process right. One of the key comments, I think, around uh, notes uh, in uh, the minutes was I, I wrote down the minutes to refer to the body of opinion. I wrote that down several times. Quite a number of speakers referred to that. And I had, while we were going along, just referred to my minutes. And there is, um, under consultation process, uh, 604 responses were received, but residents don't feel they're being listened to. Now, we can make that point much stronger if uh, that's your wish. Uh, but I think that was one of the key points you made about the accuracy of the minutes. The next thing that I'd like to make crystal clear is that 
This, the call for sites, including this one, uh, was part of the first process. We're going to come on later today for a further call for sites because you'll know where our local plan is. And it is absolutely right that when we go out for that call for sites, we're also calling for possible gypsy and traveller uh, sites. But we are not going to delay this decision-making process uh, on five acres. That will be concluded uh, uh, as and when, and I'll come on to that in just a moment. It looks, it doesn't look good, the 30th and the 31st, but I think you'll be aware it was referred to. Well, you know, these things happen bluntly, and it could have been the 23rd of March, it could have been the 8th of April, but the point is still the same. We, we at the last meeting, uh, approved some of the sites. The one thing we didn't do about auction, it's terribly important to remember that, is we didn't, uh, we didn't approve it. What we said was, we hear what you're saying, we've seen your pictures, we require more evidence. And uh, just to clarify the point about highways and environment, they, they passed comment on, on, on the two sites, but they didn't categorically rule them out. So I think we just need to be clear on what they did and didn't say. Going forward, um, we, are, we are now too close to an election, and uh, maybe, and I what I do apologise for is if you have been under a misunderstanding, because it's in everybody's interest that uh, all parties are crystal clear where we are on the process uh, and what exactly is happening. And if there was an impression that we were going to be able to achieve this before uh, the election, then I apologise for that. In reality, that was never going to be possible. We couldn't take people on a call for sites and not make a decision and then start the process all over again. Now I don't know whether I'm going to be elected the leader or anything else after May the 7th but if I am you have my absolute categoric assurance that as soon as we've set up uh, this committee again uh, that we will be doing and don't forget we must do a full uh, site visit. We can't just go to Oxton. We have to go to all the sites that are potential sites. We have to be seen to be treating this in a transparent way. I'm sorry to keep using these words, but they are quite important. So we will do those site visits, and then we will take all the evidence, and that very much includes the evidence that you present to us, into account before making a decision. Bearing in mind this is part of a consultation process, it is not a planning application. We, have, we do actually have some planning applications for gypsy and traveller communities elsewhere in the constituency, and that obviously is a different process. So those are my outline points, but um, I will now ask Mr. Taylor to comment in any further detail as required. Yeah. Sorry, could I just say, you said categorically that at the last meeting you approved three sites. No, you didn't. You didn't approve three sites. All you did was note the officer's report. So here we have yet another confusing statement. You say it's crystal clear that you approved three sites. That, I think you'll find, was what was just said two minutes ago. But that was not what happened at the meeting. You took the officer's report and it was noted. There was no approval given for those sites, no decision made on those sites. Yeah, I, I, do, I should remind you that this is a working group. Uh, decisions are made by full council on matters of this nature. But you're right. We took officers' report and we didn't raise any objection. So, but you just it, said you approved the. Well, site. we're dealing in semantics with respect. I mean, I think everybody in the room, <laughs> no, everybody in the room, understood that we did not object to what the officers were, were recommending, which was that these were okay sites. So, you know, Mr. Taylor. 
Um, thank you, Chairman. I mean, so you've covered a lot of the, the points um, that, that picked up uh, from the public speakers. Um, as I said, I think the, the process that we're following um, is, is difficult and it has certainly taken longer than we'd hoped to do. When after we'd reported the report representations to, to the working group at a previous meeting, uh, those papers made clear that um, there was outstanding evidence in terms of um, the site at five acres and that we were going to write to the, the site owner to request those details, which we did. And we gave to the end of the month. Um, we gave well, possibly, but it, um, it we gave to the end of the end of the next month um, in terms of a deadline. We have been in contact with both the environment agency and the uh, the landowners uh, consultants, so we know that the work has been commissioned, and we know there's ongoing dialogue with the environment agency. The environment agency, as I think you've indicated, has to has to provide um, information to the consultants to start with before they can continue to carry out their work. As soon as we receive those reports, they will be uh, made public um, on the website as, along with all the other information that was received as part of the call for sites. Those reports are into the technical aspects of flooding and supporting mitigation. What that doesn't do, um, some of the public speakers picked up, is look at whether the mitigation measures have an impact on the uh, protected lanes or on any highway safety aspects, which, is, which we know. So those reports also need to have discussions with um, Essex Highways um, and um, Essex Archaeology, and I'll come back to why in a moment, and also need to be sent to the Environment Agency to check that they're happy with the overall uh, recommendations and outcomes in those reports. Well, you, it is Uttlesford's decision in terms of the impact on protected lanes. However, the authors of our protected lane study and the designation of those lanes um, were... Uh, was led by the Archaeological Department of Essex County Council, which is why we use that team to, to look at the impact and advise us. Um, so yes, it is our decision as a district council, finally the council's decision, um, but in terms of our professional advice, that's who we've used to carry out this, the study to designate them in the first place, so it seems wholly reasonable to ask them um, to assess them. As well as the consultation or communication that Peter Brett had with various con um, constituencies, and certainly Essex um, archaeology was mentioned, um, we also consulted them directly as part of the, the last consultation which, which you all responded to. So we did directly consult the team in relation to all the sites that were put forward. Once we have, um, as Councillor Offer said, once the, the new working group has been set up, um, and we know that the members who are on, on that working group, we will arrange site visits to all those sites that are deemed suitable to continue on to the next stage. And then we will uh, so carry out the site visits. We will marry that up with um, the, the reports being presented by Five Acres and, and the comments on those reports by Essex Highways, Environment Agency, etc. And then together with the site visit and the, and the appraisal that members will be able to undertake themselves, we'll be able to bring that back. That means that we can then conclude on the one site that hasn't yet had a, a recommendation from officers, either to be in or out of the next, next phase, and then members will be able to have visited the sites and understand the different, different constraints of the sites. Then that will then flow into the allocation of, of Gypsy and Traveller sites, which will be um, towards the end of this year, beginning of next year. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the time scale. So um, 
there is a, a hiatus, as it were, because of the election period in terms of getting the site visits in and making sure um, the recommendations of this working group can then be taken forward. It should be noted that the reason that reports here are only noted is that the working group can't make decisions. They can recommend to Cabinet certain actions, and they can note reports, and they can advise officers. It is not a decision-making body, so that's why reports come in the phrase of noting or recommend to Cabinet certain things. That's, that's the way working groups work. They are a working group of Cabinet rather than decision-making body in their own right. Um, and certainly, um, as officers, we, we want to draw a speedy conclusion. It's only fair on all parties involved to ensure that we have the necessary information, necessary robust information to be able to make a decision, and that then we do make a decision as soon as possible so that people know one way or the other what's going to happen. Um, but at the end of the day, um, councillors will have to make a decision about where to allocate sites for gypsies and travellers, and I'm sure... Um, it's not going to be an easy decision and certainly the decisions might not be popular in the end, but it is a decision that we will have to take as a council and councillors will have to recommend that before it goes out to public consultation. Thank you, Mr Taylor. And before I open it up to the rest of the committee, can, for, for the benefit of everybody in the room, let me ask the question to, so that we're all clear that uh, after the election, when this committee or its um, follow-on is reconstituted, uh, site visits will be arranged uh, and in, in parallel to receiving all the relevant reports, including those that we've already had, a recommendation will be made. That, that recommendation will be in public. So hopefully, and I, please don't pin me down, but hopefully in June stroke July, the people of Arxton will know what the recommendation is. Yes, and Wickham, Bonant, and Clavering. Yeah, sorry. Yes, that, that's right. We, we will have that chance um, in terms of receiving the reports, having uh, contact. I mean, the, the one the one benefit the election period does have is if we have we have time to go round to Essex County Council and Environment Agency and get their con, uh, they get their comment on the reports that, that get sent to us. Then we can report that back to members here and, and go through those site visit processes. So yes, there will be a recommendation from officers, as I said, within the June-July period. That's the that's the uh, aim. Thank you very much indeed. Other members of the committee? Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Um, yeah, I would like to say something um, about page 7. This is about site visits as well. Um, from what I remember, somebody said, and I can't remember who because it actually isn't minuted, that um, there would be a site visit before the end of the, this term. Yes, there was. Uh, and somebody, I don't know if anybody else in, uh, will remember that, but I actually do. And um, Mr. Taylor is saying the new working group, well, we've only been existence, in existence since January. I actually believe that we were the new working group, um, and we're obsolete before we've even started. So if this group could have done that site visit, that would have been of help, I think. Um, but obviously that's not going to be allowed to happen, so I just wanted to make that point. For all the reasons that Mr Taylor has said in terms of the accompanying evidence, uh, you wouldn't have been able to make um, a decision pre the, pre the election. Uh, this is the new working group. It might well carry on subject to the outcome uh, on May the 7th to be the carry-on working group. We can't uh, predict that and uh, we have no control over the election. Um, but. Uh, the, the, the assurance that we give is that a site visit by a council that will then be in place for four years uh, and able to make the decision and to follow through the whole process will be made as quickly as possible. 
Councillor Barker. Thank you, Chairman. Um, Chairman, later on on the agenda today, we come to the new call for sites, which of course includes provision, potential provision for gypsy and traveller sites. If we are looking to do site visits in June, can I ask how any different allocations that might come forward as part of that call for sites will be assessed similarly to the existing sites have been assessed ahead of doing site visits? Mr. Taylor. Um, thank you. Uh, it, the, we need to keep the two processes separate. We are concluding the current call for sites and, and the, 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 outcome, the outcome of that. Um, so all the sites on, on that consultation will be visited, the Gypsum Travel sites visited, and that will then conclude that consultation. Um, the outcome of the the next call for sites that you've mentioned um, later on item um, on, on the agenda, those, uh, the conclusion date is 1st of June in the papers. They, all, that, so all those sites, whether residential, commercial, gypsy and traveller, will be then be um, assessed um, under strategic environmental assessment. So we've got a detailed assessment of all those, all those sites. At the time that we then want to allocate them, um, if we wanted to go down this exactly the same route of visiting all the sites, then, then that's what we'd need to do at that stage. But it would be a separate process to the one we're talking about now in terms of the conclusion of the last call for sites. Councillor Howell. Um, Mr Chairman, I, I take it that we've moved on from public speakers and we're now dealing with matters arising. We are. Good. We are. In which case, uh, under PP15, because this is the item in, in front of us, I wonder if I could ask Mr Taylor to update us. Uh, at the bottom of page 7, I question the comments made by Philip Kratz, who was the planning lawyer representing the residents. He referred to the fact that Cotswold District Council and a, a council in the northeast of England had chosen not to identify specific gypsy and traveller sites as part of their local plan. Um, and I'd be interested to know what his thoughts were on the approach that they've taken. I, I did have a number of, of other points. Um, I am very much of the view that we have not made a decision on any of the sites, and, and I'd like the residents of Radwinter to know that, because I represent the Sanfords Ward, and there is a gypsy and traveller site in Radwinter End. I may have noted the report last, at the last meeting, but I have most definitely not make it, made a decision on any of the sites, and I'd, I'd like that to be well known and noted. Um, I'm afraid I have to apologise to other members of the committee. I'm not able to stay for all of the meetings today because I have Radwinter Parish Council, and they, not surprisingly, like many residents here, are, are equally concerned about the, a, a site within my, my parish. And so I, I have to, to leave shortly. I've been unable to attend their last two meetings because of my membership of this committee. Um, and, and finally, um, over the page on page 8, um, reference was made to the government's consultation on likely changes to the definition of gypsy and travellers for planning purposes. And, and I understand that one of the final acts of a Liberal Democrat minister was to block that change or that consultation last week. Um, and I understand that, that it will not now, there will now no, be no change. Um, I'd like Mr Taylor's comments on whether that's true and whether I've understood that correctly. Uh, and if it is, I'd obviously express my significant disappointment. 
Mr Taylor. Um, thank you, Chairman. In relation to, to Cotswold um, District Council, um, I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as was made uh, out at the last meeting. Um, they have gone out a development strategy and site allocations in January 2015. However, they'd already identified sufficient gypsy and traveller sites for the next five years. You remember, we have to identify nine. Well, they'd already identified theirs. They didn't have to allocate any because they'd already found them. What they've then done in, in the, the years after that is identify broad areas of search, which if you remember we were talking about as an option we could do, identify the first five years, so the nine, and then broad areas of search, or identify them all. So they followed exactly the same procedure as us, except they'd already found their, their equivalent of nine before having to go out, so they didn't have to allocate allocate sites. So exactly the same situation as we're talking about. Um, in terms of, uh, I mean, you noted the recommendations from officers to take it forward to the next stage in terms of the sites, and then we're going to visit them so you have all that information. So you know, there's no formal decision, as I said before, this isn't a decision-making body. In terms of the government changes, I don't know the detail, but there certainly is no consultation coming out, and it's now too late. So there is no changes from government, and that will be picked up, I suppose, if at all, um, in, in the next parliament. But nothing has, nothing has come out from government in terms of any changes. So for the moment, the civil future, we are continuing on in terms of the current definition. I have to say there was a lot of comment about legal challenges, about the, 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 the human rights aspect of changing definitions of, of, of specific type, uh, category of, of person within planning law. So there was a lot of concern in relation to that within the uh, legal and planning world, so whether that had anything to do with it. But there has been no consultation. Councillor Dean. I wasn't at the meeting in February because I was on holiday, so I've missed much of the, um, the controversy surrounding this. However, I was at the meeting at the, on the 26th of February, um, and, and I, my recollection is of that meeting that there was to be um, a site visit in March, with, following which I had assumed uh, some form of uh, conclusion or at least recommendation would have been reached at that, this meeting. Now, clearly that's not <coughs> happened, and we've heard from members of the public their um, dissatisfaction at the process um, that I'm not going to repeat now. But what I, what I would like to raise is, is a matter of process. It, 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 it relates to the, um, to the call for sites item on the agenda, but I think if we could get this process matter out of the way rather than dealing with the substance of it now, I think it's, it's more relevant what's been said because already because we've heard um, members of the public express their dissatisfaction with minutes and uh, I must admit when I saw emails at the weekend I think I probably um, mixed up the Arxton matter with the more general matter of the, um, of the local development scheme and if I may just raise these points here because they are matters of process at the meeting in February we, we, this this uh, working group uh, noted, as the process says, um, and we recommended a local development scheme which included a timetable which said that um, new sites, and this is not just chips and traveller sites, but all housing sites would begin in July and run through to December this year. <coughs> Sorry, Councillor Dean, can you pinpoint which PP this is? 
It's, it's, it's in, I'm, I'm referring to um, page nine of the document which came to this working group in February. Well, we're, we're dealing with matters arising well, yes, from I, the last meeting. Indeed. Well, it, it, as far as indeed, duty to call, uh, the call no, for sites, we'll, we'll be doing that under no, item but I, four. I think this so is a process matter to do with minutes, and I think members from ARCS... And these are the minutes of the last this. meeting. Yes, yes, and references. So what, it, what is the reference to the minutes of the last meeting? To the, uh, to the Gypsy and Traveller consultation and to, uh, to the, um, the call for sites, which has already been referred to earlier in the meeting by members of the public. But we didn't have a call for sites at the last meeting, so we're very happy to take the points under call for sites, but I'm trying to get through matters arising from the minutes of the last meeting. If you wish to uh, stop me speaking, I will do, Mr. Chairman. But, no, uh, I just want to stay to the point. Pardon? I just want to stay on the point, which is... The, st the stay of the point is that minutes of... Matters three, matters arising. The, the, the members of the public are not satisfied with the minutes of the, this working group, and nor am I. In which respect? In which respect? That the matters of the, the, the minutes... Of the last, meet, of the last, of the last meeting, meeting, not the one before. I agree, that it's, I agree that it's the minutes of the previous meeting, but it's very relevant. We may can only I, may, deal may with I the minutes of the last meeting. We've, we've already I, noted the, uh, the concerns, and I've got a suggestion in terms of how we... Uh, extend the point about the concern but as far as call for sites we will deal with that under, under call for sites. We can't talk about the minutes of the previous meeting, we can only talk about the minutes of the last meeting. Well the minutes of the last meeting referred to the minutes of the previous meeting and therefore I'm referring right, well, to the Unless minutes. there's anything specific Councillor Dean I suggest we move on. If you, I wish, have another if you wish to be obstructive Mr Chairman then no. Councillor Oliver Thank you, Chairman. Can I just ask where we actually are on the minutes? Are you dealing with the minutes or are you dealing with matters arising from the minutes? Because there are several corrections I would like to see made to the minutes that we have here. Just really, did, okay, you, did well, you take the minutes? If, if there are no other matters arising, then I will go back to the minutes and to ask whether they are a true record. Well, I will deal with matters, of, matters arising and then deal with the, the queries I have on the okay, minutes. Okay, deal with matters arising then. Thank if you. If you accept that. Yeah. I'm very sorry to have to raise issues here tonight with regard to this matter, but the villages of Arks and Wickenbonnet and Clavering have been living with this uncertainty since March 2012. We've had the ORS report which suggested 26 pitches for Uttlesford. But as far as I can see, this, is, this has not actually been accepted by the UDC. It's not even, we haven't accepted it as such. We've had the Peter Brett re Associates report, which has every appearance of being a very sloppy, desk-bound job. And very surprisingly, there does not appear to be a written brief for Peter Brett Associates. Uh, same comment to Councillor Dean. What is, the, what is the matter arising from the minutes that you're referring to? I am referring to the fact that we are looking at the minutes of this meeting, yep. at which I spoke, yep. and this is the same, and I'm speaking to the issue, the same as you've allowed the four other speakers to speak to. Mr. Dean, Councillor Dean's comment was about item four. This is item three. But the matter arising from the minute, no, that's the key if point. Me, if you want to shut me up, do. But I will now... If you, 
you know, we've had this if argument. It's, if it's a matter arising, I'm, uh, that's, no, the, no. That, that's the yeah, point. I've been we're trying to raise a matter arising on this, but you're not accepting my views, so so be it. Uh, is something missing from the minutes? Yeah, I'll deal with that then, if you like. Okay, we'll take your point on minutes. Yeah, we'll, d- we'll take it page by page. Okay, we're now uh, looking at the minutes to see whether they are an accurate record. So if you can raise your point when we get to the appropriate... Well, the first uh, point is that uh, I don't believe Mr Mitchell, the Chief Officer, was actually at the meeting. The matter has been dealt with, Chairman, and um, there is, I certainly was not at that meeting, but we have picked that up already. Thank you. Mr. Mr. Mitchell was not at the meeting. It quotes in the minutes that he was, but it has been dealt with. So, Councillor Oliver, uh, sorry, not Councillor Oliver, uh, PP 12 to 15 on page 5. Same point. We refer to the fact that Philip Kratz is a planning lawyer representing the residents. I'm sorry, he wasn't. He was retained retained and representing Arxton Parish Council. Thank you. The, The minutes will be duly change to that effect. Can you then take principles, the last one of those bullet points, the spelling of Wickham? Yeah, thank you. I think that's repeated, so point noted. Thank you. And then there should Apologies be... Apologies to Wickham the, Bonnet. The problem about um, having a uh, public recording is that people do listen in. And I understand there's an important point there on missing on principles. There should be another bullet, two bullet points there. Development in Wickham Bonnet has been refused for seven dwellings on the grounds of sustainability. These were given by speeches by people, and these are points that have been omitted. That's fine. We'll include that. And then also, the council should decide on the suitability and not depend on the site owner making the case. Another bullet point. Okay, we'll include that. Are you content, Maggie, you've got these? On the legal issues, can we have a plural in bullet point two, the only recourse is for the inspector to find the plans unsound. Okay. And then come down to site suitability that that will be incorrect this isn't working all right that that would be incorrect that refers to the um to the local plan and the the soundness of the plan it doesn't refer to this particular document and then more importantly the second bullet point on site suitability the site has goes on to say access to services, employment and public transport. No, it doesn't. The site has inadequate access to services and employment and public transport. Is it relevant to that point? I'll ask Councillor Barker just to comment, but we take your point there. If we're changing exact words, then I believe that the top bullet point on page 7 should read that the site entrance lies within flood zone 3, as we have been told repeatedly that the site is partly in 1 and some small parts in 2, but the flood entrance is in flood zone 3. Can I, can I um, suggest that we don't get carried away trying to rewrite the sense of the minutes? We have a... Uh, a recording of them uh, and 
The, the, the minute is not a transcript of the meeting that took place. The minute is a record of the meeting. They, it, would, it doesn't record everything. It doesn't record everything that every member has said. It won't record everything that every speaker said. But it gives a sense of the meeting and it, and it records the outcome of the meeting. But it is not a transcript of the meeting. And it reflects. I wasn't at the meeting, but I did listen to it. And it reflects what I heard. Thank you. Okay, we, 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 we take, take note of that point, but we will continue. And, and the points that uh, Councillor Oliver, bar plan and plans, have duly been noted, as has the um, point by Councillor Barker. But as, as the Chief Executive says, this is not a full transcript. This is not a word for word. It's not Hansard. Well, one of the troubles I find is that I've been to several, obviously, attending several of the meetings of this Council. And when we have normally have speakers to the Council or to even scrutiny, there is usually a full transcript of what those speakers have said, and I'm surprised that that did not happen in this case. Um, I'm sure that if need be, A, the um, speeches or the comments were heard uh, on the transcript, as, as the Chief Executive says, or I'm sure that the speakers will be pleased to give copies of their comments to the Secretarial Department afterwards, which might well help. That's a perfectly legitimate point, and we'll give that some very careful consideration. Obviously, we've tried to make this as open as possible. There are a lot of speakers, whereas at Council there's only one or two. But I take note of your point, rather than trying to second-guess what was said, to actually have it verbatim. So we will look seriously at that point, Councillor Oliver. Thank you. Thank you. So that's complete. Well, I was going to suggest actually that at the end of uh, the, that section uh, headed, the following issues were raised, just to because it was made, raised by two or three speakers. That there was a, the summary. In summary, uh, these are not the exact words, but we can formulate. The, but in principle, in summary, there was considerable opposition to the potential use of five acres as a gypsy and traveller site. And we can say where five acres is, as expressed by, and then we can quote the number of comments that we've had in, which is actually quoted in the minutes. Circa uh, the number of people, it was about the same as uh, tonight, it's, about, it's, it's over 100, and the number of speakers. So just to re-emphasise the point that there was considerable opposition at the time. Okay, we'll add that to the end of, those, of that section. Can I just interject again, I'm afraid, Chairman? Um, we, if we're going to do that, it would have to come as a comment from a member. It would be quite inappropriate of a, the committee clerk to appear to introduce an opinion here. So I think if any form of judgment of that is to be made, it needs to be a direct quote from a member. I'm sure we can do that, but um, we have to be very circumspect about how, how we record meetings, Chairman. Okay. Well, we'll try and find uh, the appropriate comment. Moving on to item seven. Is there any, we're now going through the minutes as a, tr a true record. Eight, nine, ten. Yep. <coughs> Councillor Harris, on page which item, please? It's um, PP19 under Braintree Local Plan. Um, I was just under the. Um, I, I had an understanding that we had agreed that where we had a cross-boundary plan that we would actually, our own officers would engage with the local parish councils because we had had a situation where there is cross-boundary within Stebbing and the local, council, sorry, the local parish council hadn't been contacted by Braintree District Council. So where we couldn't necessarily rely on our neighbours, we could rely on our own officers to inform us. You have raised that point before and I believe you raised it at the last meeting. So I, I believe it we will include that point. Yeah. And Chairman, just confirm that's been done. 
Okay, we'll include that in the minutes. Any, uh, so we're up to page 11. So, with those changes uh, which have been taken into account, uh, do we now find the minutes a true record? Those in favour? Those against? Motion carried with one against. Matters arising, we've had the discussion on the matters arising, and uh, so I now propose to move on to item four. Uh, but before I do that, in summary, um, as I, I'll re repeat my apology if you have been misunderstood about having a conclusion before the election. Um, it it's not possible to do that for the reasons I hope you understand, but if you felt, uh, if you expected it was going to be a decision before then, and, and we've, if, I, I don't know about misled, but if there's been a misunderstanding, then for that I apologise. The rest of it, I hope you'll appreciate the path that we are set upon, which is to uh, review and site visit every option uh, before we make our uh, final decision, as has been repeated many a time tonight, as a recommendation. And that will be done in June, July, to the best of our ability. Uh, and we will inform, of course, immediately upon the decision. So I hope, in summary, that uh, makes it clear to everybody. It may not be the answer that you wanted uh, tonight, but I hope uh, it's a fair summary of where we are. Thank you. We'll now move on to item four, and I have got three speakers uh, for call for sites. I'll call upon Councillor Menel. Thank you, Chairman. Um, actually, a great deal of this has been covered, but concern has been expressed to me about this item. It appears that the timetable was altered at the January meeting, which suggested a call for sites in July, but it was changed by the Cabinet to April. That's been covered. I refer to the addition of um, gypsy and traveller sites in the Schlar document, I believe that you have accepted in principle that five pitches will be acceptable in rural areas and this document is requesting sites that could accommodate five plus dwellings and is aimed at housing primarily. So I wonder if that form could be looked at and reviewed perhaps. Um, could I have positive answers to these following questions. I know they have been gone through, but I'd just like to hear them again. Can you tell me where the five-acre site now sits, having undergone full consultation and investigation and having been found to be, in my view, unsustainable? Will the new council deal with this particular site as soon as the new working group is formed? Will the site owner's responses be made public? Will a final recommendation about five acres from the officers be made at the opening meeting of the new group? And lastly, will this site be rejected if the applicant fails to provide the information that has been asked for? Thank you. I will ask um, Mr Taylor to answer some of those, but I think I've answered the other points that we will deal with it as quickly as we can. Um, I, I can't necessarily promise the first meeting because obviously we've got to complete the site visits. Uh, but Mr. Taylor, do you want to uh, answer the other questions? I think the only one that's not been answered is the last one, which was will it be rejected if the information has not been submitted? Um, all right. You were still going on your, on your time scale on my machine. Um, um, 
I think the answer to that is we would want to have a further conversation with the Environment Agency about the sort of mitigation they might perceive would be required to enable us to assess any potential impact um, to be able to then make a recommendation um, to the working group. The problem we had before is we didn't have sufficient information because of the level of concern raised by residents in the report that was been mentioned earlier. Because there was that conflicting information, we requested the additional information. So without that, we're back to that situation of, of you know, not, not having a, a final decision. So I think the short answer is no, it won't automatically rule it out. But we'd need to then go through a process of discussing with the Environment Agency and our advisors on rural lanes to see the likely impact and then bring a, a report back in terms of recommendations to the working group following the site visits. So it's not a clear-cut answer, but it, it certainly sort of throws more doubt on the situation, I suppose, because we don't have the information requested. Mr Coltman. Uh, so, sorry, Chairman. Um, Mr. Taylor didn't answer the question on whether we could alter the form to reflect the limit of supposed proposal that five or less pitches. In the sorry, I, I was going to let Mrs. Nicholas um, pick up some of that when she does her uh, brief about the uh, the officer's presentation on this item. Uh, yes, but. I was <laughs> Sorry. Good evening once again from Arkson Parish Council. Um, say a lot of these points have been answered, but there is some confusion uh, about this meeting at the UPPWG in January. And I'll try to explain where I think it is. Um, You've seen from many emails that, that have circulated recently that the Parish Council and residents were dismayed to see the timetable for the new call for sites brought forward to April 2015 from July 2015, which was the timetable that this working group had approved at its January meeting. And when it was presented to Cabinet by Councillors Barker and Rolfe, um, the new timetable was proposed as being approved by the working group and changes had been made after comments made at the planning policy working group. Now I can't see anywhere in the minutes or in the recorded minutes which comments these were that caused the timetable to change from July to April. Now, this timetable was critical in that we were led to believe that no decisions on sites in the current consultation could be made until after the new call for sites had been concluded. Now, this has all been clarified, and therefore this comment is, is not really that relevant. But it was, we did have a concern that you weren't going to look at the five acres site until after the new consultation. Moving on to the call for sites form on which you're being asked to comment. Yes, that is actually asked to comment, not just for noting. This form has been designed for housing and sites put forward will form part of the strategic housing land availability assessment. The form refers to sites that are suitable for residential or employment development and sites that could accommodate five or more dwellings. Yet you are being asked to approve this form for houses, caravans, pitches, since they are all now being dealt with under one local plan. 
And the only mention of gypsy travellers, if you look very carefully, is a one-line entry under current and potential use that refers to gypsy or traveller pitch. This form is ill-thought-through, with statements such as no sites will be automatically carried forward. Does this mean that the sites in the current Gypsy and Traveller consultations, such as Tandems and Star Green and Five Acres, will have to reapply even before any decisions have been made? But yet this form is only suitable for five dwellings or more. So what will Tandems and Star Green do, as they are only proposing two pitches? You can see the confusion that this has brought about, and it's yet another example of why the local plan was rejected originally. I suggest that your comments on this form should be to strike out the line referring to gypsy and traveller pitches and only allow a call for sites for gypsy traveller sites when an appropriate form has been prepared and approved, probably by July as originally agreed. I am, once more, left wondering why you are being asked to comment at such a late stage. Presumably any comments that you do make will have to go to Cabinet for approval. And yet this form is due for publication on April the 1st, just 36 hours away. Unless, of course, this is just an April Fool's Day prank. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure those points uh, will be picked up when Mr Taylor addresses. I think the points about five homes or more is around houses, but we take the points around uh, gypsies when we deal with the matter. Mr May. Thank you. I think my first comment would be to say that there are semantics and there are weasel words. And I think most people form their own judgment as to what they're hearing. There are also minutes, and we appear to have dealt with those. But for the record, there is also a transcript. And one point which Mr. Oliver didn't pick up is that for the record, none of the speakers welcomed the suggestion that rural sites should be limited to five pitches. So there's another correction perhaps we could ask for. <clears throat> I would also like to remind councillors of the first law of holes, which the late Dennis Healy popularised, which is if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. The council has dug itself into a deep hole with five acres and is in danger of that hole caving in if it doesn't stop trying to dig itself out. We just heard you, Councillor Rolf, try to inject clarity. I'm none the wiser as to what actually is going to happen. And you will have to forgive me if, after hearing your words, there is a sense of deja vu. Because we have been here before. Now, I thought the shovels were actually mainly in the hands of the planning officers, but it appears they've actually given you one as well. It's very disappointing. I do take some comfort from the fact that you try to give us um, hope and an expectation, as you've done before, that there will be a decision made through due process. I think the minutes will undoubtedly record the fact that you hope that would be in June and July. 
actions speak louder, of wor- louder than words. So let's see what happens. I'm not sure whether what we have is an extended coffee break from the hole digging. I'm not sure if we've abandoned the hole and the council has gone off to dig a hole somewhere else. What I would like to hope is that the council will start filling in the hole, complete its job and move on to its next task. Whether or not a call for sites is launched this Wednesday or next Christmas, and whether or not the planning officers try to shoehorn gypsy caravans into a process clearly designed for bricks and mortar developments of more than five houses, is neither here nor there when it comes to common sense and natural justice. There is no reason other than hoping the whole will somehow miraculously disappear or fill itself in why UDC cannot finish the job of assessing five acres without further delay. The planning officers have put the site owner and residents to enormous trouble and expense to get this far and will shortly have all the evidence needed to assess five acres, which is the only site hanging in limbo. We all know this, but I am just reiterating that we expect action and not weasel words. Steve Coltman, John Burgess and I met Mr Ritchell recently to raise with him the concerns you have all heard about what has been happening, and we have touched on some of those today. He informed us that the site owner had already been given an extension to the 16th of April, not the 31st of March, I think that's worth recording, to the 16th of April to provide her further information. It will be interesting to see what we are told on the 17th of April. Mr Mitchell confirmed that this information will be made public, which we welcome, and that all the other evidence that has been provided will also then be put in front of those who have to make this decision. Now, I go back to the fact that I quite understand the working group is not a decision-making body, um, but you actually have to wonder why it exists if it doesn't actually recommend that the Cabinet make decisions. The only recommendation to Cabinet which has actually been adopted thus far by the working group or by its predecessor, the local plan group, is to fold the Gypsy and Traveller plan back into the local plan. That's not a great deal to show for over a year of work, is it? It defies belief. And incidentally, just on the point about what happens if she fails to provide the information, my colleague, Robin Cody, who's not here today, I think was assured by you, Mr. Rolfe, that if she failed to provide that information, the site should be rejected. So what excuse can there be for things not now to happen? Let's set the record straight. To say that another local plan process might stop the planners working on five acres, which is what Mr Mitchell had said in an email to me, and we spent most of this afternoon trying to clarify what he actually meant. (coughs) To say that the council is going to be not in a position to even express an opinion on the site, which is what he said in an email to me, until after a consultation. And now to hear what Mr Taylor is saying. Mr Taylor has the ability to talk at great length and say very little. It is also a smokescreen what is going on, as we had previously been told that any decision to fold this gypsy plan back into the local plan in no way removed the need for the public, public consultation as this work needs to be done in any event. So, in any event, please instruct your planning officers to put their shovels down and get back to their desks to do their work. Thank you very much.
Okay, agenda item four, if we could uh, hear from Mrs. Nicholas. Thank you. Um, this report is for members to note and to advise officers. Sorry, turn, turn up again. They're supposed to be further away, weren't they? Um, is that better? This report is for members to note and to advise officers on the call for sites form. Um, members will recall that the inspector at the examination in public concluded that the council needed to um, provide for more housing and therefore we need to find more sites. And I think the, the, reason, for this, sorry, the reason for this call for sites is to not roll forward the previous um, strategic housing land availability, but to give an opportunity for the council to um, look afresh at sites and um, ask for landowners to um, put those sites to the council. Um, there is government guidance on this and it looks at um, housing and um, employment land, so that's why the call for sites includes employment land as well. So this is a chance for the council to establish what land could potentially be made available for housing and commercial development and for, it to, for the council to take this into account in preparing the local plan. On page 14, paragraph 9 sets out the threshold and this is based on the recommendations of the National Planning Policy Guidance. Paragraph 10 summarises the information required. The results of the call for sites will be subject to sustainability appraisal and will come back to the working group and will also be subject to public consultation. Um, picking up on some of the points that have been, been raised, officers have uh, suggesting to make, making some changes to the form since its publication on the agenda. Um, it's suggested that the title at the top, instead of saying Strategic Housing Land Availability Assessment SHLA 2015, says Housing and Economic Land Availability Assessment 2015. In the second paragraph that's in bold and starts note that um, in the first sentence the SHLA is spelt out in full as Strategic Housing Land Availability Assessment and that the second sentence now reads no sites within the current SHLA will be automatically carried forward. We've also since received more detailed information from highways that have, has been incorporated into the transport assessment on page 24 and this is to enable um, developers putting forward evidence on their sites. Um, it gives sort of technical detail that's required on the methodology on assumed growth rates and this is to provide consistency between assessments. And um, guidance is also suggested was amending the guidance to make it clear that all assessments under and above 500 dwellings will need to include information on distance to services such as bus stops, town centres, um, surgery, schools, etc. So um, there's much uh, more detailed information in what we would like to send out, um, like to publish on the transport assessment to help people sending the information into us and make sure that everybody is sending it on the same basis. Um, going back to the point about including gypsies and travellers as a uh, potential use, because obviously um, 
you know, we know that sites have been proposed to the council in the past for large-scale development, um, you know, 3,000 homes plus, and there will be a mix of site uses on that, and that could, for instance, include, um, you know, gypsy and traveller pitches within a mixed development. Um, and that has um, been suggested to us in the past by, uh, at national level, as a way of achieving um, the gypsy and traveller needs. Um, but appreciate that uh, new sites could be suggested to us and that that could be less than five dwellings and we could um, make that clear in, in there that, uh, it, that we would be, be useful to know of smaller sites um, to broaden the amount of sites that we have to look at. Good, thank you, Mr. Nicholas. I think that's the last point you've made is, is an important one, um, and answers uh, in part Mr. Coltman's point. We do need clarity around that so that it is a multi-user document, and we need that before it goes out. Um, Mr. Taylor, would you just like to refer to um, the original decision and the um, proposal that Cabinet took to bring this forward and the reasons for that, please? Um, thank you, Chairman. Yeah, the, the logic of... Uh, obviously, the report was presented um, to the working group um, for, for recommend to Cabinet, um, and as part of those discussions, my recollection is that there was a, a desire to ensure the process continued to move forward um, and that we had sufficient space to have... Um, discussion about the strategic nature of the, uh, of the distribution strategy, so I think it was referred to as blue sky thinking and being able to have time to do that. As part of um, our legal advice that we're taking on the process, they were very clear that the call for site should be carried out before we have um, conversations about the strategy so as to not fetter the, um, the submission process. So by doing the call for sites um, now and bringing it forward, we're able to do the call for sites process and conclude that and then in um, June time we're able to then have the housing numbers and publish those so again they don't influence the, the sites that are brought forward by various landowners and also to be able to have uh, start discussions or thinking about this, the distribution strategy the, the strategy that underpins the local plan and again without um, influencing the call for sites if we did it the other way around, um, the concern would be that you might not, some sites might not be brought forward, which then limits the uh, availability of options that you can take forward to future consultation. So we will have a range of options for, for strategic distribution um, that we will need to consult on later on in the year, and it's felt that it's better to do that without being, without being focused on specific sites, because as soon as the sites come forward um, and are made public, you obviously you focus on sites and how they come forward rather than having a discussion in the round um, and being able to, to have the, the blue sky thinking or the, the policy off discussions that are, that are important. That will then be able to take into account any external advice, whether that's on small sites, on large sites, um, to enable councillors to be able to form a view um, about this strategy that they wish to, to follow. So there's a collection of reasons there about why it was moved forward um, in terms of the timescale which gains the council time, if you like, so that the sites can then be assessed um, during, during June, July time to enable the council to have um, the ability to have this um, unrestricted discussion, if you like, regarding the, the future direction of strategy for allocation of sites. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mr Taylor. 
um, and I'll come just to Councillor Eden in just a moment, but uh, I appreciate everybody uh, here this evening visiting us is, is particularly concerned about gypsies, obviously at uh, Five Acre, but you'll appreciate this call for sites is for the increasing number of houses that was indicated by the inspector. Um, and uh, we do have to bring a number of different themes, uh, the land availability, the number of houses that we have to build um, all together at the same time, um, and uh, the consensus is that the quicker we can get on with that process, the better. You're very concerned about an answer on five acres. I think the rest of the district's very concerned about uh, uh, where the future housing will go, and uh, so we need to do that in the same way that we do everything else, openly, transparently, etc. Okay, Councillor Eden. Um, uh, thank you, Chairman. I obviously endorse your comments about the importance of this process, uh, uh, and as important as gypsy and caravan sites uh, are, this is significantly more important. Uh, it, it affects the next 15 years. Uh, my question really is around what is the communication plan for this, um, and, and what is the sort of budget uh, that we have available to make sure that everyone is clear? That this is happening, this process is going on, uh, and it's not bypassing people because they're not uh, paying attention. So it, it's just the, I need confidence that we're going to really get this across to every potential landowner, and it's done in a way that is pretty robust, and we have adequate funds to support that in whatever is the, is the appropriate way. Mr. Taylor. Um, thank you. I mean, we have a consultation database of uh, many, I think it's in about 4,000 letters the last time, but in our email addresses as well. So we will send out the consultation information um, to all those people registered on the database. Um, that's the, uh, the same consultation databases we always use for the consultation process. It will obviously be on the website, um, and we intend to send out um, uh, a number of press releases to ensure that we advertise it through that medium as well so it becomes part of the, the news as opposed to just a, an advert. Um, the majority of um, agents are already well aware of this and have been ringing up um, before the papers went live, ringing up asking when it was going to happen so uh, there's a good majority of people that are already um, uh, aware of the, the, the consultation, sorry not consultation, the call for sites and are waiting for um, the timescale to be able to submit their information to us. Councillor Eden referred to communication with uh, landowners. Um, I, I want to come back to the point I wanted to raise earlier, and I think it's more about communication with the public uh, and also w with members. Um, one of the things that I think is, is key to this revised or fresh process is, is communication with the public. And I think we've, you know, we've perhaps got off to a, an unfortunate start in that some issues about communication with the public have been identified that may well uh, indicate to us that more effort needs to be put into that to deliver what you've said, Mr. Chairman, which is, is uh, greater transparency. But I, I would like to pick up the particular matter that Mr. Coltman referred to, because um, I've got in front of me two versions of the Local Development Scheme, February 2015, and it says that it was Revision 10, uh, presented to this working group in January and the Cabinet in February. Um, and, and as was already mentioned, on page 9 of the Local Development Scheme, it said that a call for sites was going to begin in July. So for one thing, I was surprised to find that we were discussing 
this matter tonight, bearing in mind that it's not really, it wasn't due to get underway until the new council came in. And the minutes of, of the meeting in January, uh, two meetings back, did say that the um, working group noted the revised local development scheme and recommended its approval to Cabinet. He didn't say anything about making any amendments to it, as um, Mr. Taylor has just mentioned. And then Councillor Barker's covering report to the Cabinet meeting on the 17th of February said the revised LDS is attached, which has been updated to take into account comments at the planning working group. Well, I, I struggled to work out what comments were made at the planning working group that could have brought in a change whereby the, the call for sites came forward to, as somebody said, the day after tomorrow. Um, because I, I, I didn't spot anything that was made. I've heard what Mr. Taylor has said. But the, the point I'm really wanting to make at this point in the meeting, and I would like to discuss the relevant merits of uh, when it starts and ends, is that you know, if we're going to have these changes taking place, then I think they need to be done in an open way, such that I don't have to suddenly discover it by searching the Council's website on Sunday morning this week to find out what actually happened. I, I, I just don't think that's the right way to go about it. We, we, we've said so much time and time again leading up to the demise of the old local plan in December about trust being essential and one, one way in which one achieves trust is to do everything openly and if something's got to be changed then tell everybody and, and why at the time and not, not leave it for people like me to have to dig it out or to be aided by the clerk to a parish council in, uh, who'd spotted the same, the same problem. So I, I don't want to labour that. I think it's uh, it's, just some, it's just the way things have gone about and I think it is important that not that minutes are verbatim but that uh, where they record a decision they, that it's stuck to and where, where a change has to be made place and it's made quite clear why and to those who were involved in the original decision. Can I, can I go on to, to the, the timetable itself? When we met in January I made at least three references to my concern that the uh, original timetable didn't include anything in it uh, about, um, Mr. Taylor's referred to blue sky thinking, I don't know whether I use that term or not, but it's a, providing some sort of umbrella, some sort of framework within which people, landowners out there and developers would take into account when they decided whether or not to put their sites forward. Um, the, the plan at that time said that we were going to wait until we got the strategic housing market assessment in, the, in, the current, in this coming six months up to June. That was then going to be considered. That would determine, one would expect, a new target for housing numbers and then there was going to be a call for sites. And I, what I said in January is, well, what I don't want to see happen is a repeat of the, the problems that occurred with the old plan. And it needs to be gone about in such a way that we don't end up with making, jumping to conclusions, making premature decisions on, on a, one big site which then went belly up after eight years. Um, <clears throat> but equally well, if, if I were a landowner, and I'm not, apart from my back garden, um, I would want to have some indication about, first of all, how many 
sites, how many plots of land are being looked for, how many dwellings are being looked for, be they permanent or temporary, um, and some idea about the council's thinking in terms of where are the, the good places to get to, where are the difficult places to get to, and all sorts of other parameters that, um, that, um, that have to be taken into account in making a decision. And I know there's this fear that, oh, well, if we kind of start to uh, prescribe things already, then some people will say we're trying to put them off, and, and others will say we're trying to pinpoint somebody and, and, and favoritize them. So, you know, so there is, there is that balance. But I think, you know, to me, calling for sites now, in, in two days' time on the 1st of April, I think, to me, is, is, is jumping the gun. It is premature when no work has been done at all, when this meetings, this, this working group's only had two meetings and hasn't really done any work apart from received reports and, and, and had to deal with the, um, the controversy at Oxford. Um, so that's where I'm coming, still coming from, that the sequence previously seemed sensible. You decide how many houses you want, and then you ask for, for sites, and then you try to make some sense out of them, and, 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 the, and the process rolls forward. And, and calling for sites now, to, to me, leaves people thinking, well, first of all, how many are they after? Secondly, what's this, what's this business about... Um, um, garden developments or garden villages, we haven't even really, really discussed it in, in great detail to get, to get our heads around it, and we being the council's thinking body, um, if, if not decision-making body. So I'm still left feeling that, that, that bringing this forward to July, first of all, wasn't uh, part of the decision in, in January, but more to the point, it, it, it turns it upside down, and we risk, I think we, we risk, we risk it going skew whiff again, and none of us wants that to happen. I think it has to be done in a, in a way which is methodical, which is honest, which is transparent, um, and, and which takes the public with us this time rather than, rather than alienating them. So I, I rest my case at this point uh, in saying that I, I think we, we ought not to be starting a week uh, the day after tomorrow, particularly as we've been pointed out is there may well be some modifications that are needed to the documentation before it goes out and a bit more thinking that we probably ought to get onto because that might identify some other things that we're not satisfied with. So it's just, it's just too tight. 30th of, Jan 30th of March to the 1st of April. Um, I, we've done it before. Um, we've, we had the situation in uh, Christmas 2007 where suddenly we had to go out to consultation and, you know, Councillor Barker said, oh, please, members, will you go and deliver these leaflets and letters because we've got to get them out before Christmas. That's not the right way to go about it. We mustn't be seen to be falling over ourselves to rush it. Otherwise, people will just get suspicious that we're up to something and that's the last thing that we, we want to happen. So I'd, I'd like us to think this one through carefully this evening before coming to a, a decision as to whether to support this process beginning on, is it Wednesday this week? Yes, must be. Thank you.
Thank you, Councillor Dean. I've got uh, Councillor Barker. i just make a few comments. Um, as you know, this it, it wasn't fresh in these papers because it was a Cabinet decision taken uh, some time ago, and obviously those papers were uh, in the public domain, the decisions were in the public domain, so um, it, it was quite well documented. Mr Taylor has um, uh, laid out quite clearly the advantages of going early, and uh, we absolutely hear what uh, you say about the blue sky thinking, uh, but it is it is a balance, and we, we must avoid at all costs predetermination. Um, and the lessons that we learnt the last time, apart from um, numbers, and we're going through a different process on that, and uh, pretty reassured that the process we've got in place that the numbers will be accurate, was that the um, the actual detail of the submissions um, are full and uh, unearing, and that is why I think some of the details from uh, garden um, villages are quite appropriate because they deal with details that perhaps uh, we didn't have before. Um, I think it's right that we go, it's a two-month call, so it's not as though um, we're, all these people are waiting uh, for their submissions. They have been for some time, so this is not new to proposed developers. And um, I think to bring up, and also the point that Mr. Taylor made, which is to to have the blue sky thinking, and inevitably that would be done in public, therefore it would be reported, and therefore the developers would know what the thinking was, um, and for them to be responding on the basis of the thinking uh, is probably putting it the wrong way around, that these things should be come together at the same time. Uh, I fully support your idea of thinking, but thinking must never strain to predetermination, and that is a very fine balance, and I think you and I agree on that point, uh, Councillor Dean. So as I said earlier, it is about bringing up what are the actual numbers, and we're, uh, we're on a process to determine that. Where are the available sites? And what is the strategy of this council, in fact, this community, uh, to place these houses? Because, as we all know, uh, and a bit like gypsy sites, whether we want them or we don't, we have to provide them. Um, and it's a question of where. So I, I, I'm content that, and I think, again, a bit like uh, Five Acres in Arxton, you want an answer. And I, I think the community wants to see the, uh, the process uh, continue. So I'm actually quite content. We're not rushing anything. Uh, it won't rush under my watch. It will be comprehensive under my watch, which may only be for another five weeks. But um, I, I think it's uh, – I, 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 I'm quite content with that. But I think uh, – I'm going to go around the table, and I think there's some other people who want to speak. So Councillor Barker first, then Councillor Lachlan, then Councillor Howell. Thank you, Chairman. Chairman, um, the officers have explained the, the timetable to us and the rationale behind those, and I'm quite happy to propose this with the amendments that have been suggested. And we want to get on with this. We have 90 people in this room tonight who want us to get on with making a decision about Arxton. The public out there want us to get on with making a decision about housing. If we don't do this now, we will be waiting until after the elections in May. Some of us will be back here after the election, some of us won't. The first council meeting does not meet till the 26th of May. We would not be holding a meeting of this group till June. We would then be accused of going out to consultation over the summer holidays. I'd like to get on with this now, and I'd like to propose, Chairman, that uh, we accept this with the recommendations that have been proposed and move on. We have a gentleman sitting there who's very patiently been waiting to give us a presentation on another aspect of our development for the last hour and a half, and uh, I would like to propose this timetable, Chairman. Thank you, Councillor Barker. Councillor Lockton. 
Thank you. Uh, well, you were talking about the community just now, and uh, you know we all want to involve the community, none more than me, I have to say. Um, but at the last meeting, and I do have to refer to the minutes here, but it says the statement of community involvement will uh, be brought to the next meeting for members to review. But I haven't seen a statement of community. But is it here? That, Where went, is that it? went to the last meeting, Councillor. No, this was in the. Yeah, that was February to be brought forward to this, which I believe is March. Yeah. No. no, if you look on page nine, look on page nine, the statement of community involvement was brought no. to the March meeting and it's now gone out to consultation. You see the, the agreed no, to approve to, the revised document for public consultation. No, no. This, it's, uh, let me, this is February. Then the next meeting, I think, is this one, isn't it? Unless, I mean, I believe it's March. Um, it says no, if, if, if you look to the minutes of yeah. uh, the front of the agenda for this paper on page nine. No, that's last. That's last one. So, thank you for those who have come along this evening. In, in, in summary, it's out to consultation. So, um, right. But it says to be brought to members for review. I'm a member. It, I'm it, not. it did come. It came at the last meeting, and the minutes before you, from the 23rd of February, on page nine, PP17, record the fact that it came to this meeting and it went on to cabinet, and it's now gone out to public consultation. Okay, let's move on. It's nice to see you spoke about it as well. Yes. yes. Okay. Any other? Councillor Howell wish to speak. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I appreciate that many of the residents from Oxton, Wickenbonnet, and Clavering are filing out of the meeting as I speak. But I, I do want to make the point that this paper is much more than just about gypsy and traveller sites. This is much more than just about gypsy and traveller sites. And based on the results uh, of the last time we did this exercise, it will result in the sort of Damocles hanging over every single community. Um, I can anticipate a number of sites in my ward that we will be put forward because they were put forward last time. Um, and I, I recognise how concerned people are about five acres, but I do wish that the rest of the community were here to understand just how much it affects them. When we started this exercise, I think we were looking at 320 houses a year. We settled on a figure of 530. We're now expecting to look at 580 at least. If, as, Council, as we know, Elsenham is not perhaps going to go forward, we're looking potentially at 2,000 plus properties across the district during the lifetime of the plan. Um, and it is the scale of this challenge is just so significant. It's way beyond anything that's, that, that, that we've ever had to accommodate as a district before. I think we're expecting the population of Uttlesford to grow by perhaps 25-28% over the lifetime of the plan. Um, I wish that some of the residents who had left had stayed um, to hear what I wanted to say because I went into politics as a very, very angry man and I realised very quickly that I persuaded nobody by being angry. Um, officers are not here to defend themselves and they're not able to um, and no one else has said it but I, I, I do want to, to put it on record that officers do an extremely challenging job 
and their motivation should not be brought into question. I, I, I recognise it's, it's, they do a difficult job. They are, are servants of the community. They try and balance very difficult challenges, and we as councillors have to do that. And, and I've been sorry to hear some of the comments that have been made this evening, although I'm, I'm the first person to be nasty to officers when it suits me. But, <laughs> um, but I, I, I try and keep it um, within, within context, if that makes sense. And so I'm sorry at some of the comments that have been made. I want specifically to refer to page 25 and the garden development principles, because I greatly admire Councillor Dean's optimism taking the community with us would be a wonderful aspiration. I, I question just how achievable that is. The, the nine objectives of, garden development, of the garden development principle are very admirable, and, and if we can achieve those, it might be that for the first time in a generation, people will welcome development. And I will certainly hold officers to, to, to the test. If we go down the route of choosing sites, we will have to be satisfied that these nine principles are achieved, and they are extremely demanding. Nevertheless, I still see the real problem that the inspector identified, that Elsenham was identified, was embedded in the rural road network. And I cannot think of a community anywhere in Uttlesford that does not face that same challenge. I do not have a solution and I'm not sure that, that, that at the end of this exercise we will find something that will take the community with us. And on that pessimistic note, I will probably have to leave shortly. Thank you, Councillor Howell, and uh, I endorse the comments about officers. Uh, it's unfortunate when there's a misuse of language. Um, no other members, so Councillor Cheatham. Thank you, Chairman. I wish to um, have a technical question answered. Uh, there was a, we have already had long discussions today about this committee is not a committee, a decision-making committee, it is a noting committee or a recommendation committee. I would like to know when the um, recommendation to change the consultation from July to April went to a cabinet meeting. I can answer that one at the last cabinet meeting. Any other points? Okay. Mr. Taylor would like to say something. Mr. Taylor. Sorry, Chairman. I just wanted to comment on two things that Councillor Howe picked up. The first in relation to garden development principles. I need to be very clear that this, the officers and, and this working group and the Council haven't made a decision in relation to this, but we wanted to ensure it was in here so we had all the information necessary. Um, exclude on page... 25 or 10, whichever you like to look at, the points 2 to 9 are very important um, in terms of any larger scale development. Point 1 is slightly different, but if we have the information submitted as part of a call for sites, then we are able to take those decisions. And the only other thing, which I think you said and Councillor Lachlan said, we've got to be very clear that we're not ruling Elsham out or in. We've got to go through the entire process of assessing each site because there will be submissions in relation to that. So we've got to ensure that we go through each of those sites um, appropriately. Okay, I'm going to... Um Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, I didn't come in the first place. In the first way, I never said that. Sorry, can I have that on the record, please? I didn't say that. Oh, sorry, I, I know someone else did. I thought it was you, but apologies. No, no, it wasn't. No, unless I. 
going a bit shuffled, you see, Irish, sir. I, I hope that the whole committee rules no sight in and no sight out. Precisely. On that point, uh, uh, members, I uh, ask you to vote on the recommendation, which is to note the report and comment on the call for sites form prior to the call for sites commencing. And, of course, we do have the addendum of the changes around gypsies already noted. On that basis, those in favour, please show. Those against? One against. Thank you. We now move on to item five, and uh, I'd like to welcome... I'll try and get this right. Uh, uh, Tony Plazakski. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, but before we do that, if you just bear with us just a few more moments, because we have, do have two public speakers uh, on this matter, and I think it would be good that you hear them. Um, so I'm going to ask Jane Gray to come up. Thank you, Chairman. Um, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for Tony, um, who's given us a, a great deal of help. This is, um, these are comments rather than a huge criticism. Um, so, in 2012, the same consultants were tasked with putting together a sports strategy for Uttlesford. This was recently dismissed as an audit, and I would argue that this latest offering is again an audit of sports organisations who use pitches and courts and leisure centres. This is not surprising as the questionnaire that went out to the sports groups was only applicable to those that played competitively, competitively in leagues and teams and those who trained and played at set times. This document will be used to justify money from Section 106 and CIL being used on sporting facilities in the district. The developers will be guided by this document. There is limited mention of different health benefits of sport in this document, no ideas on whether one sport gives more health benefits than another, thus saving visits to the local doctor's surgeries. There's no discussion on retention of participants. Does your child try cricket but move on to spend a lifetime practising parkour? How do we track young female school leavers to participate in physical exercise? Could outdoor gyms with nearby cool cappuccino-making facilities advertised on social media help? What about a trim trail for walkers, bikers and runners? A multi-use path winding its way through the new housing estates with outdoor gym equipment at intervals along the way? After the success of the Paralympics, I was amazed to see no provision for inclusivity in sport, no mention of sport provision for those who are physically or mentally disabled. This report concentrates on established clubs who were asked to come up with a wish list for their members. So, if you are overweight, disabled, don't make the team or can't afford the membership, you are excluded. Section 106 and SIL should benefit the whole community. There is no mention here of social value or social return on investment for the community. There is no room for innovation in this report, little indication that people's lifestyles have changed, that people need facilities that can be used when they have the time in their busy schedule, that can be accessed every day and evening of the week and not left empty for the majority of the time. This could be a list of sports put together in the 1950s. There is only one mention of park runs, nothing about outdoor boot camps, 
both currently popular because they fit in with modern lifestyles and today's media-savvy population and can be organised via a phone or the internet. As Secretary of the Skate Group, I'm hugely disappointed that despite attending Saffron Warden Organisation for Sport Meetings, where incidentally I am the only woman present and meeting with the consultants, the activities that take place at the skate park have been designated an informal sport and placed in the playground category. We have over 800 members. BMXing and skateboarding are recognised as sports by Sport England and we are open three, six, five days of the year facility with free access. We cater for all ages and are used by skaters and BMXs in their 40s, 50s and even 60s. The main skate park is not a children's playground and yet we are labelled an informal sport and the report states that it's difficult to plan for informal sport provision. I fail to see why this is the case. Why should it be any more difficult to plan for a concrete area than an outdoor bowl screen? So I urge you to amend this document before it goes out to consultation to take into account the points that I have raised. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Jane. Um, I don't think Simon Drew is still here, uh, but um, he was going, I think, to make a similar kind of comment. Uh, Simon runs Saffron Boot Camp, um, and I think the same point about other sports that uh, um, uh, perhaps a different uh, audience uh, might participate in to think beyond uh, the traditional sports, I think would have been the, his theme. Um, okay, well, without further ado, sorry, without further ado, and apologies again for keeping you waiting for so long, um, we very much look forward to your presentation on the strategy that uh, we have before us. Thank you very much, Chairman. I prepared a brief presentation which really just runs through the, the background to the study and the emerging findings. And I hope uh, in the course of presenting this I can address some of Jane's points. If I don't, Jane, in the course of the presentation, please pick me up again afterwards if there, if there are any things that I omit. In terms of the areas that I'll try and cover, I'll just deal with the background to the current study, the rationale behind it, the, the, the scope, which Jane's already touched upon, including some of the uh, omissions um, fr from the study the tasks that we've been asked to do and then the, the initial findings that are reflected within the draft document. So in terms of background, as, as Jane mentioned in, in her um, presentation, we contributed to a wider study in 2012 of open space sport and recreation needs uh, within the district, which was very much planning led and very much to support the local plan to provide an objective evidence base and perhaps almost inevitably given its genesis was very much um, numerically focused, very much um, looking at producing per capita standards. And I think, picking up again on some of Jane's points, possibly losing sight of the fact that sports facilities don't exist in their own right, but they exist to deliver opportunities and to deliver sports programmes. I think perhaps uh, whilst the study is still robust and is still... Um, an accurate reflection of sports needs. It didn't particularly, sorry, am I, is that easier? It didn't particularly um, pick up on locally expressed um, demand for sports or particular um, projects developed by local sports groups. And I hope that's something that we have been able to at least address with, with the current exercise. 
So in terms of the rationale for refreshing the study three years after its original production, um, clearly there have been some changes to facility provision since then. So we've reviewed the evidence base since 2012. The 2012 study looked at the district as a whole rather than perhaps breaking it down into um, sub-areas. So we, we're currently looking at uh, supply and demand issues in Saffron Walden sub-area, the Great Dunmo sub-area and the Stansted sub-areas, and picking up significant differences between provision and supply and demand within those areas. Since 2012, Sport England has, re has, has released two uh, new sets of guidance on how to um, conduct these kind of studies. So again, we've been able to reassess the evidence in the context of the new methodologies. There was some consultation on the document last time round, but nothing like as extensive as, as we've tried to do this time round in terms of engaging with local sports groups. And I think critically seeking to get buy-in from, from those sports groups. Um, what we would like to achieve through this exercise is to produce a plan for sport in Uttlesford rather than an Uttlesford District Council sports plan. So there are all kinds of diff different constituents and different um, sports groups uh, with an interest in bringing projects forward and developing projects and running projects and funding projects apart from the District Council. So again, we, we've tried to broaden out the um, the focus of the study to reflect that. In terms of scope, Jane's quite right in every respect that it does look at a very traditional range and you're quite right Jane, I think it's fair to say a 1950s list of sports and sports facilities. One of the difficulties that I have alluded to within the document that, that Jane quoted from in terms of the difficulty of planning for, and, and, and forgive the, the, the use of the term, Jane, it certainly wasn't meant pejoratively, the, the, the more informal sports, is that a lot of the most popular activities at the moment, like running and cycling, like boot camp, uh, make use of non-sport specific facilities. It's parks, it's roads, it's trails, it's, it's, it's bridleways, footpaths. And in that respect, it's very difficult to plan for what is required in terms of accommodating sports needs, where they're using non-sports specialist facilities. And that, I think, is why we fought shy of, of, of going into that in depth within the strategy and focused primarily on sports-specific facilities. But again, very happy to have further dialogue on that chain in, in terms of whether there are better ways of addressing those needs or addressing them more prominently within the document because I absolutely take the point um, that activities like running and Andrew was just whispering in my ear about a, a new park run starting up in Hatfield Forest very recently. The popularity of those activities that make use of pre-existing and non-sport non, non specific facilities to promote sport and physical activity which aren't re reflected perhaps adequately within the documents at the moment. In terms of the, the four tasks we were asked to do, the first was really to look at what local needs are. Uh, and again, we, we've, we've sought to do that in terms of local participation rates and to try and establish what local sports priorities are. This next process that we're considering this evening, I hope will refine that. And again, it's very helpful and very salutary to get Jane's comments this evening when we're on the, 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 the brink of going out and consulting more widely again on the documents. To, to check that, that people are comfortable with what's proposed, that we haven't missed anything, and that there aren't other priorities that people would like to see reflected in there.
consultation that we have embarked upon to date is listed on screen. Uh, and again, um, that's perhaps a narrower focus than we'd like to achieve with, with the next phase of consultation. Um, it would be very helpful, I think, to build in the views of parish councils on provision within their immediate areas. Uh, and I've certainly um, had a very timely phone call this morning from the Essex Cricket Board pledging help and support with getting out to their clubs. And I think we will we'll try, to, with Andrew's help, to um, engage other, other governing bodies of sport in terms of publicising the, um, the, the draft document. I touched earlier on, 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 on the, um, the brief for the study, and, and in terms of assessing needs, those, those are the, the six areas that we've sought to, to, to address within the draft document. One thing that it doesn't do at the moment, and it will do when we've been out through um, the consultation process, is to begin to refine priorities more closely. At the moment we've identified what I believe the emerging needs are. What we haven't done is to, to give those any priority over, over any other needs. And again, Jay made, amongst many very good points in your presentation, Jay, the issue of taking account of which sports offer the greatest benefit in terms of health physical activity, and I think breadth and reach as well in terms of, of, of age, gender, disability and, and, and so forth. At the end of the process, we'll look to develop an action plan. At the moment, there are um, lists within documents of what we believe the emerging needs are. We'd like to translate, translate that into something more specific in terms of sites, um, developments, uh, and organisations that might move the developments forward. Um, so that will be something for the next part of, of the process. In terms of what we found, um, just by way of a flavour, um, in, in terms of the, the, the initial process of, of, of developing the draft, there is a phenomenally active local population. Sport England's national um, sports participation study shows Uttlesford is amongst the, the, the areas with the highest rates of participation in sport and physical activity in the country. Uh, national average for, for once a week participation is about 35%. The Uttlesford figure is nearly 43 So already there is a very active uh, and very keen local population. As I found in, in consulting with um, the local sports groups, there are a number of very vibrant and very ambitious sports clubs locally, many of whom have got very well developed um, facility development plans and very well um, articulated needs. I do take the point, again, which, which Jane raised very well, that there is a danger because of their um, advocacy and articulacy that we've maybe um, not reached out to wider groups who might be less um, well geared up to making their needs known. Again, I think that's something we'll, we'll seek to address through the next phase of, of consultation over the next couple of months. Um, I did mention, and again, Jane, I apologise if it didn't come across clearly enough to you with, within the draft document, that for a number of types of facilities, we've highlighted the fact that disability access is a particular issue across a whole range of types of, of sports facility, and again, highlighted that within the, the draft action plan as something that, that, that requires further action. So that, that, that's a brief synopsis, Chairman, of, of, of the, the findings for the draft study. Um, I hope that's answered at least some of your questions, Jane, and please do come back to me if, if I haven't now. Um, equally, please be reassured that during the next phase of consultation there will be further opportunities to feedback comments. Uh, and, and 
hope that we'll arrive at a document in the end that, that truly reflects your concerns and, and, and the interests of others too. Thank you, Chairman. Thanks very much indeed, uh, Tony. That was very helpful, and, and, the, and the paper is, is, is very um, informative and, 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 and takes us on. And we absolutely, Jane, take take your point and I'm sure what Simon would have said as well. Very pleased to have um, the, um, the lead for sport, Councillor Davis with us and the portfolio holder, uh, Councillor Ranger. Um, in summary, this isn't uh, in my view a political thing, I'm sure there's consensus around the table on the need for good sporting facilities, uh, that uh, what it offers the individuals, not least in their health and well-being and a community generally. I'm actually delighted uh, in terms of the level of participation and activity in Uttlesford. That's a very good start but what you highlight is that we need more facilities um, and you're, you're highlighting as Jane's now called them the 1950 sports but we, we, need, we, need a, we need a broader base than that and I'm sure we all universally say hallelujah to that and, and post election will work together I'm sure in terms of how we can best deliver that um, and we must use you know, whatever uh, possibilities uh, there are whether that be 106 or, or whatever the case may be okay um, I saw Councillor Davis's uh, hand up first, then Councillor Barker, and then Councillor Dean. Uh, thank you. Um, it was really just to kind of touch on the points that, that Tony's made. That the, the, one of the um, one of the key things for us is to be very principles-led around this, and to throw our net as wide as possible to get as much of an understanding about sports groups in in Uttersford. I think we've we've managed to achieve that, and obviously take on board all of the comments that that, that have been made um, by Jane this evening. Um, in addition to that, this has provided us with an opportunity to set in place um, getting awareness of all of the sports clubs together, and then asking them and challenging them to work together as as, as units. So, locally in Dunmo, we have a number of football teams in Dunmo who traditionally never spoke to each other. Um, local rivalry aside, um, we now have a, a core group which will um, be able to replicate a lot of the positive activity that, that we have in Saffron Warden with the, the similar groups. Not only is that around understanding the need um, of sort of core sports, but, but also others. Um, just to say, I'd probably I'm not sure if anyone in the room is aware, but Dunmo and Uttersford now has a world champion um, as of last weekend. So um, the Dunmo Kashinke Karate team, who contributes at least 25 uh, members to international competition, uh, Luke Stubbs is now a world champion. So it's something to be extremely proud of and something that we should definitely look to, uh, to shout about. Whether, whether my councillor's allowance of New Homes bonus money went towards that with the, the mats that we provided them, I will take um, a very small amount of credit for that. Um, the, 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 next, the next part is the most important and how we take this forward and uh, how we identify the provision and the need so we have an off-the-shelf solution when things such as 106 comes around. I think for us... The next important thing is to say, obviously, we are as inclusive as possible, but to then go about attracting teams who've been displaced back into the district. So our hockey clubs who moved out of Uttersford and back into Braintree, all of these clubs we need to get back into, into the district because there is a, an extremely positive um, outcome from having larger participation in sport. It supports our wider health and well-being brief and um, as... as it's always said to me by the people who are involved in the group that this gives our kids somewhere to go, um, which is always a very, very positive outcome. So, many, I just want to say thank you to, to Tony for this contribution. I'm sure, Jane, as we move forward and take this forward, we will be able to bring in and make this as inclusive and as successful a, a strategy as possible. Thanks, Councillor Davis. You're 
tempting to me to make a political comment, but I'll hold myself back. But um, on a strictly non-political basis, the group that you referred to in Dumbo is, and you did indicate, um, there's, there's a very good group in Saffron Walden, which is run by not Councillor um, um, Jones, uh, but another Derek Jones, who is himself very actively involved, or was before he had an accident in sport. Um, and that group is flourishing, and as you indicated, bringing the various sports groups together. And that's exactly the way forward. And we, as a council, have got to get behind and help them find the facilities. Councillor Barker. Just two comments, Chairman. I found in this that what I didn't have was quite all the raw data I wanted. I didn't have how many village halls could accommodate a badminton court, how many badminton clubs are there, how many karate clubs are there, how many judo clubs. I know they're the hidden clubs because they're not saying we are Saffron Walden rugby clubs in this building, but they are still clubs out there. And, you know, it's a pity that some of that data isn't there. But the particular thing I wanted to draw attention to was on page 39, comment 28, which says enhanced access... We have however many schools we have across Uttlesford, and most of them, at half past three, when the junior children go home, they shut their doors. Their fields are not accessible, their playgrounds are not accessible, and I think we have to find a way of working with schools, be they academies, Essex County Council maintained schools, or anything else, to try to find a way of getting better value for your money by using open spaces and playground facilities more of the time and I think that this should be something that when we're considering planning applications for new schools or extensions we should be trying to negotiate with these schools so that the, I know there are insurance issues but there are insurance issues over any playground and any sports facilities there have to be a way of overcoming them we have arrangements evidently in Saffron Wald and in Dunmo and in Stoutford with the leisure centres it works it's school use it's dual use if we can do it in three places we can do it in more Jim, could I respond very briefly to Councillor Parker, just in terms of the detail? Um, I'm afraid I got rather carried away with the, the main document runs to 130-odd pages. I understand it's available on the Council's website, so there's a lot of the detail underlying these things. One of the issues I think we've got to grapple with is, um, in terms of this consultation process, quite how we filter some of the information. Because, as I said, I was always talking earlier with um, the Development Officer from the Essex Cricket Board, and just trying to think in my own mind, if I were a local cricket club, I wouldn't want to be ploughing through 140 pages of information which contain two and a half pages specifically on cricket. So that's an issue that we'll have some dialogue on, I think, and perhaps look at, at trying to develop some, some bespoke material for, for consultation. Any other comments? Councillor Eden and Councillor Dean. Um, thank you very much. Um, rather like Jane um, behind me, um, the only sport that ever interest, interested me is missing, uh, and I participated in that for 60 years, and that's shooting. Uh, and uh, I obviously think that's got to be considered because there are shooting clubs in Uttlesford, uh, and it's a growing sport, uh, and um, uh, it's, it has relevance uh, in all sorts of ways. Um, I would make one comment, though. This is, I'm pleased with everyone's enthusiasm. It's very exciting. It's good to have a document. The one point I would make, though, is that, and this is going to cost taxpayers. Uh, the one thing we shouldn't forget is everybody who's thinking about going out to play a game of sporting activity between 15 and 50 should first of, first of all go around their mother's house, their grandmother's house, their great aunt's house and say does the ceiling need painting? Does the hedge need trimming? Does the grass need cutting? Are the radiators all working? They are excellent ways 
uh, to keep fit and keep nimble and keep agile and acquire skills. And most importantly, protect the most important people in Uttlesford, which are our older people, over 65, who need those visits. And I have to say we are getting very narcissistic about sport. I'd much rather hear of a young man or a young woman who went around someone's house and fixed their radiator or did the light. So I'd like that borne in mind, and I think we need to keep that in parallel. We want the public to do both. Councillor Dean. I wasn't quite sure whether I heard Councillor Eden say that keeping fit cuts off at 50. And, uh, that wasn't my question. <laughs> I'd I just like to understand a little bit more on page um, 34 or page 4 of the report, where, which is talking about supply and demand. And um, in paragraph 9, it talks about assessed shortfalls close to the Uttlesford district border, which <coughs> might impact on supply, uh, therefore within this district. Then, then it talks about, in paragraph 13, the point about a 42.9% participation rate, and that, that being relatively high compared with other people. So I'm just trying to see whether those, uh, trying to reconcile those two statements. In other words, my question might be along the lines of, well, hold on, if, if, if we've got higher than average participation rate here. Does that mean that it's being met partly outside the district? Costs there isn't enough here. But equally well, this is saying that there's demand coming in. So I'm, I'm puzzled by those two. I don't know whether they are contradictory or, or, or not, but... I if I may, Chairman, you have a very well-made point. Um, I hope they're not contradictory. There are a number of facilities... Um, thinking of some in Bishop Stortford, for instance, where um, particularly some of the larger built facilities like swimming pools where, where residents from Stansted area can benefit by going out of the districts. And given the high participation rates locally, I think those certainly help to um, sustain provision within the district. The point I was trying to make, though, was that... Um, we mustn't assume that that's an option for all types of sports facility because in some cases those facilities are already full with Braintree residents or with South Cam's residents or, or whatever. <coughs> I think one of the, um, the particular um, geographical f factors that we, we have to recognise given uh, Uttlesford's um, positioning and layout is that major sports facility provision is always going to be made in places like Cambridge possibly Chelmsford and some larger settlements. And it's quite legitimate, I think, to look for some specialist types of provision um, outside of the districts, in other words, for others to provide those from which some Uttlesford residents will, will, will benefit. Um, what I was trying to do within those two points, though, is to make sure that uh, we didn't assume that they were automatically available because some of them are already very well used in, in neighbouring areas. So I hope that the points aren't incompatible. I, I'd like to follow that up, and I've got, I did have a second question. I, mean, I do remember prior to the sports centre being established in Stansted that there was discussion with Bishop Stortford, um, and Bishop Stortford Town Council said, well, our people might well use it, but we're not going to get involved in uh, helping to fund it. Um, in, in delivering this, is there cross-border dialogue to when appropriate you know, jointly make things, sure things happen regardless of which side of the line they are. That's, I guess that's my, that's my question. 
Chairman, certainly in common with all other planning related documentation, the duty to cooperate means that there needs to be dialogue with neighbouring authorities. Yeah. We take an account of their similar assessments um, in terms of where they believe their, their services and deficiencies are. So we, we tried to um, cr create the pretext for that dialogue here. Yeah. And, uh, thank you. Uh, my other question was on page 43 of the report, page 13 of the document, which refers to um, swimming pools, and it says that 0.91 of a six-lane swimming pool is needed. So presumably that's five and a half lanes, if, uh, if you want to be precise. Um, but is, is, does that have what you might call a geographical hook on it? Um, you know, I mean, we know that there are two within the district. There's one just outside it. Yeah, again, we've, by looking at um, provision on a sub-area basis this, this time round, it's helped us to focus in on the fact that um, the best levels of provision are in Saffron Walden in terms of swimming. And there's no provision within the, the Stansted sub-area at the moment. I mean, there are other complexities um, because the demand for swimming is particularly high within Saffron Walden. Uh, and I know there's a strong lobby for additional swimming provision um, within this part of the district. So th th it's not a, um, a, a directly linear argument that if there's no provision in an area, there's automatically demand for it, n n nor vice versa. So we're still trying to unpick those issues. Um, and in part, because that's looking at future needs, your um, conclusions on the previous item in terms of where housing is likely to be located will have some impact on where additional demand uh, will need to be accommodated. Well, you wouldn't want to provide another five and a half lanes where they've already got six uh, if, if, they, if it's needed somewhere else. And therefore, yeah, I agree that that comes down to the discussion about infrastructure needs and where development fits in with that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, if there aren't any uh, more comments, uh, I'll uh, put this to the vote, just reminding you that um, it's more than just uh, the, the sports listed, and I think uh, Tony's taken that into account, that the key next stage is delivery, uh, but we'll try and keep this uh, on a, uh, you know, the groups um, on a non-political basis, just so that we can make it happen. Okay, those in favour of this report? Those against? Abstentions. There is one abstention. Uh, moving on to item six, the duty to cooperate. Uh, Mr. Taylor, we've read the report, which is a list of activities that have taken. Is there anything else to add to that? No, Chairman. Are we happy to note the report? Noted. Any questions or comments you wish to raise? Thank you very much indeed, Tony. Uh, thanks. No comments. Those in favour of noting the report? Those against? Abstentions? Okay, we move on to item 7. Thank no, you, Chairman. Neighbourhood Development Planning, Jim. I think it's item 7. Yeah, I'm just getting to my page. Page 91. Thank you. I'm going so fast that I'm not keeping up with myself. Neighbourhood Development Planning. Uh, and we have a speaker, Joanna Francis, on this item. So I call Joanna. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my name is Joanna Francis. I am the steering group coordinator for the Chesterfords Neighbourhood Plan. Um, 
I'm actually speaking as an individual, not on behalf of the group. Sorry, this comes across as a bit disjointed. Um, I hacked it quite a lot to get down to three minutes. Uh, with regards to the sort of help I feel we we need. Um, the key to keeping the cost down is a proportional evidence base. How do we determine what is proportional? The key area is that the steering group needs assistance with the policy writing and environmental impact and sustainability appraisals. In many other areas, members of the LPA sit on the steering groups. Is this something you intend to do during these periods of the plans? My biggest problem at the moment is the vast amount of information available but no analysis. What is a good plan? There are around 50 adopted plans, so there are 50 examples of sound plans, but are they any good? As an ex-technical author, they seem at least a third too long. There is a lot of repeated information, possibly a lot of unrequired information. How usable will these documents be in practice? Are there any intentions to provide us with examples of good plans? Will you be pointing steering groups to documentation provided by other councils, such as Hereford and Wiltshire, or producing some of your own? Free training courses are booked up for months in advance. South Cam's organised free training through planning aid for their PCs. Is UDC intending to do the same? Policies still seem to be open to interpretation and appeal. In Cringleford, they were allocated 1,200 houses on one of the sites by their LP. They wanted a policy maximum of 25 dwellings per hectare in their NP to ensure they didn't get more than 1,200 on the site. The inspector said using maximum went against the NPPF and changed it to approximately. The LPA approved an application for 28 per hectare, which in their view was approximately 25, which took the numbers well over the 1,200 they wanted and they're not happy. The final version of any NP may well not achieve the steering group's expectations following the examination. With regards to the funding that you're now offering, MPs are not appropriate for all communities. A neighbourhood development order or community right to build order may be more appropriate. Will the funds available apply to these as well? How will the funding criteria work for joint parishes? If only one parish provides precept funds but the other provides volunteer hours, will we still qualify for funding? What will we be able to invoice for? Government grants won't cover the cost of manpower unless it is for specialist consultancy services. Will yours? Great Dunmo has employed someone full-time for well over a year to help produce their plan. MPs are supposed to be reviewed every five years. Who will pay for this? MPs are supposed to help make developments come forward quicker, but part of the sweetener to communities to do this is the implementation of a SIL policy. Our community proactively brought forward their local plan allocations, but with the withdrawal of a local plan, these will now be irrelevant when considerations are made for the new local plan, and our community feels under threat from the speculative development proposals that will undoubtedly be submitted if there is any drop in the five-year land supply. We feel we have no choice but to go ahead with an MP. Will proactive parish councils who take a lead now with MPs find themselves penalised yet again by missing out on possible future SIL funding? Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Quite a lot of questions there. Um, I'll, um, in fact, I think about 35 questions. Uh, I'll try and answer in broad terms, and then I'll ask Mr. Taylor to respond, uh, and then we'll have our discussion. Um, in broad terms, this council is uh, very supportive of bottom-up consideration around planning. Mr. Taylor will 
determine the balance of a neighbourhood plan against a local plan and the interplay between the two. Um, but uh, we feel it's important to put our money where our objectives are and have allocated £100,000 on the basis of a maximum of £10,000 per plan. And in answer to your question, it's a bit like uh, the government looking at um, joined up local government. Um, I suspect if you can't demonstrate that you're, you, you're on behalf of a neighbourhood and you're joined up, then it will be a struggle to get the money. Um, so we will need to see indication of working in partnership with your neighbourhood, because the clue is in the title. Uh, but beyond that, I'll ask Mr Taylor to comment. Um, thank you, Chairman. Um, I, I'll go through, I scribble down a number of questions, um, but then there's obviously comments that mem from this working group that would be useful in terms of um, any, any change to the way that uh, I've set out allocating money. In terms of sitting on the steering group, it's not been our approach so far that we have um, an officer who sits on the steering groups of the neighbour plans that have been developing over time. Um, what we have done the reason for that is we wanted to ensure there was a clear separation so the neighbourhoods had the opportunity and the space to develop their own policies without being felt they were being guided or directed by the district council. Having said that, we then have regular meetings um, to you know, have the continue the dialogue with those organisations. What we have done as a district council is put in place funding for the Royal Community Council for Essex to provide guidance in terms of the community engagement and um, we've uh, joined up match made the planning aid service that the government have funded up till now with the communities as you'll be aware because we've talked about it at previous meetings that relationship with planning aid has ceased so what this paper talks about is ensuring that we have funding to buy in neighbourhood plan experience so there is a body who will be able to go to the steering groups and feed in the planning expertise in terms of the process and help to guide that process and, and then the steering groups can have regular meetings with officers as and when they feel it's necessary for that input um, we have um, produced uh, various guidance notes um, in consultation with the Royal Community Council for Essex. Um, however, on top of that, um, I'm at the moment not proposing that we produce any, but rather planning aid have produced a, a vast array of nationally focused advice, which rather than reinvent everything, it seems more appropriate to point people towards the advice that's available nationally. In terms of training, one of the aspects that I've spoken to somebody who's interested in taking on the role of supporting of communities is able to start off some sort of training and getting people together to do that. So yes, that, that's certainly a possibility. The outcome of examinations and the actual interpretation of policy is exactly the same as the local plan. Once it's adopted, it's a planning document. It will be interpreted by officers and it will be interpreted by um, an appeal inspector if it goes to appeal. Um, it is not the community's plan as such. It belong, it's a, an adopted document and therefore it's a district council document. Um, and it's not the wishes of the steering group. It's the wishes of the community that are there because they're the ones that actually vote in the referendum. So it's not got to be quite clear. It's not the steering group's plan. It's, it's the, the plan for the community. However, it is then part of the development plan and it will be interpreted by officers and inspectors um, over time. Um, inspectors make different decisions to officers at the moment, you know, and, and on the local plan, and that will will no doubt be exactly the same as any um, development plan, uh, neighbour development plan. 
In terms of neighbourhood development orders, um, these are um, different to neighbourhood development plans, quite different in their makeup. They, they take a specific site or an area and grant planning permission for it, so it's be setting a different permitted development regime. Um, they're not the same as neighbourhood development plans, and this money focuses on neighbourhood development plans and not neighbourhood development orders. In terms of the funding criteria, um, it's a very uh, good point being raised. Um, on paragraph 14, um, on page 93, you'll see, um, and this, these are my thoughts, so you know, very happy for the working group to, to challenge them, that in terms of before parishes can apply to the district council for funds, they've got to have gone through certain steps. They've got to get their neighbourhood development area approved um, so that we, we know we've gone through that stage. They should have um, applied to the government to see if they can get a grant through them and they should have committed something themselves. I mean, my view was that if parishes are looking to come forward and do a neighbour development plan, they should be committing money themselves to its production. Now, the suggestion that's come forward is that you might have money, but you might also have time. So I think in the specific example, that would be money from a larger parish and time commitment from a smaller parish doing a joint plan together. Well, perhaps be interested in people's comments around the table about that and about the level of time and how you value that, how you can quantify that, in terms of an application. In terms of the view of the neighbour plans, um, they don't fall off the peg after five years. Um, they, are, they, they carry on being there, but it would be down to parishes to decide whether they want to um, implement a review of the neighbour plans, and it would be down to whatever funding is available at that time. Um, you can't dictate that now. Um, in terms of SIL, um, if a neighbour plan is in, in place, then the parishes would get 25%, um, I think, of, of SIL take. Um, at the moment, we're not proposing to go down the SIL route because our advice is, external advice is that we would receive less money through that than through Section 106 process. Once we've, going back to the earlier conversations about strategy, once we've set the strategy for the new local plan and set the, the indicative layout, uh, indicative allocations, then we'll be able to review that decision in light of the, the locations going forward, whether or not um, we will have uh, any change in relation to that. So that the seal issue is sort of an outstanding one that we'll need to come back to um, once the councillor has, has taken a decision in terms of the, the way forward for the wider local plan. I think that's picked up most points. Thank you, Mr Taylor. Just um, on the question of the expert advice that we're going to be seeking, uh, do I get the impression that there will be a name that parishes can refer to, so it's not always yourself? Not that you don't give a very comprehensive answer, but you do have other things to do as well. Well, I think there'll be two completely different things. There'll be somebody, um, a named person, that we retain to provide that arm's length professional guidance in terms of developing a neighbourhood plan. And that will be a planner who's experienced neighbourhood planning groups and they will work one, one and a half days a week, but that might be in the evening, it might be on Saturday, it might be during the day, depending on what the neighbourhood plan team wants. They'll be there to go to meetings in the evening, but they also might write a report during the day. But that's arm's length from the council, that's not them dictating the council's views. So there's that. Then there'll also be planning policy team to ring up and say oh, what's the council's view on this and that and they are two different aspects um, so then if we have a joint meeting where the officers meet the neighbourhood planning steering group the planner will be there and they'll be there to help challenge the officers if you like to ensure that the community are getting what they want from the process. Okay, Very clear does that mainly answer your questions? Thank you. Uh, any other? Councillor Dean. 
I think this is a, a good step forward that the District Council is agreeing to take a more um, involved and supportive role than it, than it has done up to now. Um, and I think there are, there are two parts to it. I mean, one, one clearly is, as it says here, providing um, independent external professional advice, and then the other one will still be um, a level of workload demand on, on our own officers, and I guess that that's something that needs to be kept under review, to, particularly <laughs> because I, I stepped back um, 18 months and Stan said Parish Council was considering whether to initiate this process and kept hesitating and saying, oh, well, let's wait till the district plan, the local plan's finished and then we can uh, produce something which is compatible with that. But of course, the, the two, because it's restarted, the, the two processes in Stansted are probably going to be running in parallel. Um, and so I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking there is that uh, you know, our own officers are going to be dealing with the local plan primarily, but supporting that. So I think that there needs to be some um, constant monitoring of how much demand comes in from the local parishes, as mm. if, as, it, as seems to be the case, the number of uh, neighbourhood plans is, uh, is taking off, or at least <laughs> increasing a little bit. The, uh, one of the... Um, key things I think that's important for any of these to run properly is, uh, is to have a, a project manager. Um, the, the administrative work of convening meetings and things like that, making sure that uh, actions are carried out, um, and, and that's what, what Dunmow had, I'm aware. They had somebody who did that as well as learning about the planning process and then providing advice but, but, but also drawing on others. So I think that that's, that's something I think that needs to be borne in mind. It, it all depends on how, how great a job that is. It, it's quite right that parish councils, parish and town councils should put money into it whether they pay for all of the administration costs, the project management I think it ought to be up for discussion. I don't have any particular um, you know, ideas on that, but I think I think it might well be that it's not just procuring inter independent external advice. That's all I'm saying. Um, there, there was a, a gentleman in the in the meeting earlier who put himself forward to um, to chair the steering group in Stansted. I think he's gone. Otherwise, he would probably wanted to take part in this. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say is that in paragraph 16, I think the there's a there's a word retailed, which probably ought to be retained. Um, I, I presume that's what it means. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, th I think, so I think it's a good thing. I think, oh, and I think the only other thing I just, just raised because of something that the lady, lady said. Um, I know we're, we're certainly aware that in Stansted there isn't a, a local plan in place, so we don't know and, and the, the neighbourhood plan has to be compatible with other, whatever the local plan turns out to be. Now we've got a post-referendum in parallel, and so I guess there'll be a series of iterations there. And I guess the same applies anywhere else, because you can't end up with um, a neighbourhood plan that says, you know, we want to be preserved in aspic, and, and, the, and the local and the district council says, no, we're going to change you a bit. So, so, I, so I'm sure that's understood in Chesterfield and anywhere else. Um, but I, I just 
I, I picked up a word which said, you know, which suggested that Chesterford had decided to join that because they thought things might be happening. No, that's not. That's, I, I misunderstood what you said. So that, that's fine. Um, good. Thank you. Don't believe everything you uh, hear on the grapevine. Um, reading the newspaper. But um, no, the, I think the two uh, things. Are, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's. Uh, no, I'm going to make a political. I mustn't. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I think, you, you know, your point is well made in terms of the c compatibility between neighbourhood and local plans. Okay, and if there are no other questions, I've proposed that we... Sorry, Chairman, um, sorry. There's one, one very small thing, which is, um, I didn't answer a question about manpower, which Councillor Dean drew, uh, picked up, um, and the intention is that 10,000 could be used to retain people to help drive it forward in terms of a project manager. So it's not just about uh, providing professional expertise, it's about helping to drive that through, which is what happened in Dumbo, because... The council help pay for some of that, or that yeah. was from the national grant. Yeah. Okay, I propose to put the recommendation to note the report um, support for neighbourhood uh, development planning moving forward. And you've got the ideas and the terms laid out in the paper. Those in favour? Those against? Abstentions? One abstention. Okay, moving on to our final item, uh, item eight. I don't see Mr. Pine. Uh, Mr. Pine is now Mr. Taylor. Um, and this is on Essex County Council's getting around in Essex, a bus and passenger transport strategy draft for consultation. Uh, we have all read uh, the Essex strategy oh, yes. and the draft. We have several certainly times. all read uh, our proposals, which I think are very sensible. Um, so consider that done. In that case, I, I wait to see if there's any other suggested points you wish us to raise. No, I think the only... Oh, I'm still on, anyway. The, the only question I would ask is, is this just simply a so-called consultation to cut costs? And is anything positive going to come out of it? And, you know, one of the key things, I think, is about encouraging people like me who have a has a car to use a bus as well uh, and I know I have a bus bus so I've, I'm privileged but um, I, you know, I think that that's the answer is actually getting more of us to use buses and then the county council doesn't have to pull the plug on services that might otherwise die and I, you know, I don't know what the motivation is behind this I'm not, but I often wonder I, um, you know, you can look at this half full or half empty. Uh, I, this, this will be the same as uh, possibly some of the other services that Essex provide. Um, they, they want to uh, offer the service, but want to get best value out of it. And there's no doubt that there are ways of driving that forward. We, we live in a very challenging area in terms of access to services. Uh, a lot of, um, particularly our older and our younger people, um, do not have their own transport, are very dependent on public transport, and bluntly just simply can't get around. And if they're going to wait for a whacking great bus, then that probably isn't going to come. But if there are other ways of doing that, one very good piece of news for you is that the um, voluntary transport uh, group that we have is growing and growing. I'm pleased to say we've been able to offer it more money, but it is now doing a huge number of um, um, of transport movements and uh, the users are very satisfied um, and this is particularly to uh, medical appointments and the like any other any other comments councillor eden yes you have a transport interest uh, yes uh, thank you uh, chairman uh, yes on, on that latter point one of the difficulties that uh, one uttlesford community travel uh, isn't actually like many of the community aren't actually recognized clearly in this 
Um, and part of this is to do with the way that the provision of bus services is licensed. And it strikes me that um, that is a barrier to getting better quality integration. So we have opportunities for Islesford Community Travel to provide services, but because they have a different licensing structure, they're not able to do that. The most obvious is that the problem we currently have with Waitrose Clothes and so forth. Um, they would have provided uh, services, but uh, we're unable to do so because their license doesn't, doesn't permit them. So I think um, we should ask Mr. Pine to uh, examine whether we can understand better what opportunities might exist in the next Parliament um, uh, in respect of, of addressing this issue, because it's been with us for my eight years as chairman of the Alfredsford uh, Transport Forum, and yet it's always been the issue. And this, we're an obvious candidate to say, you've got a bus with four people on it can hold another four, why doesn't it integrate with the, the once-a-week service we run? I think that's uh, an extremely important point, and uh, I know Councillor Barker wants to come in, but this whole question of commissioning s services um, and the impact it has on the voluntary sector, and if we can make that process more compatible, I think... Well, just make one point on that, is that Uttlesford uh, Community Travel are about to invest in a uh, significantly improved management software system that would identify... Um, the, the amount of availability it has, because it does continue to have a problem of the high proportion of dead miles. Um, uh, yet it could, so it could develop data that would demonstrate to Essex how they could actually offload some of these once a week type services uh, that carry three people uh, and ask for community travel to provide that. Councillor Parker. Just along the same theme, Chairman, there are, of course, in Essex, over 20,000 children who are transported daily to a school from a village to a bigger village or to a town. And uh, again, looking at the registration of routes and the possibility of ordinary residents being able to use those buses would be a very sensible thing to suggest to the County Council. I know there are officers looking at it, but uh, if people make positive comments, then perhaps someone will look at it a little more deeply. Councillor Lachlan. Um, also, there is the problem, well, I certainly have the problem with my patch, that it runs through two counties, Hertfordshire and Essex. And uh, admittedly, uh, it, I'm talking about the Saturday bus that was going to be axed, and they tried to ax it eight years ago, but it was given a reprieve. But um, I actually spoke to Hertfordshire County Council, who said, well, it isn't very well used. So I then spoke to Essex County Council, who said, well, they may be able to come to some arrangement. So I don't know if that happens often, or indeed if it will happen, but, uh, you know, with a duty to cooperate, it would be very helpful because um, these buses go to Bishop Stortford, which has the market, and it's in Hertfordshire, running from Phoenix Pelham. And I just wondered uh, if there was any arrangement that perhaps Essex County Council could make uh, for these bus services because they are a lifeline uh, for elderly people who can't get around and they're social as well because they you know people from various villages meet on the bus and then go and have a cup of coffee or something and you know it, it really is a very vital service and I do recognize that you know there is a financial thing here but it does serve a great social need as well. Thank you. We've had uh, two suggestions uh, to pass on to Mr Pine in terms of the voluntary sector and um, cross uh, 
border. It, it's, the duty to cooperate is re referred to actually in the report, but I think it's just, it, it, is, it is a point uh, well, well emphasising. Any other points? If not, I put the recommendation that the working group endorses the reply that's set out in Appendix 1 with the two comments we've just made and suggests any other points that ought to be raised, which we've done. So those in favour of that, those against, those abstaining, one is... <laughs> All right. No, yeah. Okay. Um, and for all those still listening out there, um, we can we can. Councillor Parry. Can I just raise a point? At the beginning of the meeting, we talked about getting copies of the people who spoke of what they yeah. of what they spoke. Um, can we do that where possible? Some people don't. Most people read. Yep. pre-written speeches and I think it would be beneficial to be able to read them properly with the minutes yep. afterwards Do we all agree on that? And that's realistic is it? To be able to incorporate it will beef out the minutes a bit but could we make an attempt to, um, to because I mean, we know who the speakers were so uh, and then going forward we'll do that A comment from the floor, Councillor Redfern Yes, if I may, Leader. It would occur to me that people have to register to speak here. So when they register to speak, yep. they should be advised that we need a copy yep. of what they're going to say given to Maggie or whoever at that meeting and then we would, everybody would be able to have a copy of it with a minute. No, I think, I think uh, that was the point that Councillor Oliver made earlier and that, that we will fully, to Councillor Paris is slightly different about tonight and I think the answer there is that we will try to get copies tonight um, uh, just to illustrate the point. Yeah? Oh, not tonight. Okay, okay. So we all agree that we will summarise tonight's comments and in future we will get a written copy when they apply to speak. Those in favour of that? At 8, 10, 9, 40, meeting closed. Thank you all very much. You've done very well.